Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. Thank you for your belief and your trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together. And isn't it a minefield of of uh, events, man? I'll tell you, with the, the fake news meme... A word I really don't care for. The, the, uh, all of this, the, uh, just the headlong rush, avalanche, tsunami of news, news headlines. It's just really incredible how things are playing out. Folks, you can uh, tune us in every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Proud to be a part of the network that hosts, uh, Dave Hodges, uh, Russ Dizdar, um, Ted Brewer and many others. Great network to be a part of. Also, simulcast on Blog Talk Radio as well. Great people there at BTR. And, of course, live on our YouTube channel. You can catch us live right here on YouTube. That's the video side of this equation. And we have two two different websites, HagmanReport.com. And that's for news information analysis, show prep, important show prep, including the first hour tonight. And uh, Hagman and Hagman.com there for access to the show and the various venues. We're so blessed uh, right now uh, in many ways, but uh, Joe and I are so so grateful to, to have on this hour Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com. And, and folks, um, I, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of insight as to why Steve Quayle is on to this hour. Now, Steve woke up this morning not planning on being on the show. The show. I woke up this morning not planning on having Steve on the show, actually. But isn't it interesting how things work together for good? And it was something after I, I spent this weekend reading, um, rereading, I suppose is the better word, Empire Beneath the Ice. This is the book here, if, uh, if, if you can see this on, on the video. It's written by Steve Quayle, Empire Beneath the Ice. And it's, it, it has a lot of information about, well, the South Pole, Antarctica, and the Nazis, well, what happened with the Nazis after World War II. And this this weekend, a lot of things transpired. Well, this past, over the last several days, a lot of things transpired that, that, uh, that, that, that were relevant, are relevant to Empire Beneath the Ice. And you know, we, we often say that Steve is ahead of the curve. And on this one, it's, he's been proven to be ahead of the curve. Uh, be, before we get into Steve, I, I'm going to I'm going to give you some foundation, about three minutes of foundation before we bring Steve on, just to give you kind of the backdrop of why I asked Steve to come on. But before I do, just I'm going to bring Joe on. Joe, uh, it's great to have you on here. Great to be us. here. Yes, uh, it's going to be a fantastic kickoff of the week broadcast. Yes, uh, with Steve Quayle talking about Empire Beneath the Ice, and this is something that has. Uh, gained some traction in recent weeks, specifically uh, because of Antarctica yes. and some of the activity that, that's been going on there. John Kerry, Secretary of State, 
has been in Antarctica for a while now, and you had astronaut was, Buzz, anyway. Al- yep. Yeah, yep. And Buzz Aldrin, uh, who was in Antarctica and had to be hospitalized in New Zealand for some uh, uh, reason uh, while taking a trip down to Antarctica. There's a lot of right. speculation as to what's going on down there. Some say it's uh, Kerry went down to check out the climate change for himself, but he's the first uh, highest-ranking diplomat in U.S. history to visit Antarctica. And I, I noticed some some relevance to Kerry's visit with uh, with entries in Empire Beneath the Ice. It's it's some similarities, but I, I won't get into that right now. I just want to mention as well that uh, this hour brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com, folks. Business owners, managers, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, I've got the answer for you. It is ZipRecruiter.com. There you can post, uh, you can find your, if you're looking to find your perfect hire, you can post your job on all the top websites, job sites with one click with ZipRecruiter.com. You can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. And you know what? You don't have to be juggling around with phone calls and emails. They, the dashboard on ZipRecruiter does it all for you. So again, no juggling emails to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them and hire them. Hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time. ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Now, when, when I, when I read the, reread the Empire Beneath the Ice this weekend, I, I had taken some notes and I compared the writings of Steve Quayle in his book to current events. Clearly there's something taking place, folks, to the Christian audience out there. And uh, I dare say our, our audience is majority of Christians. Uh, clearly there's something taking place in the South Pole, in Antarctica, with respect to the what I would what I would describe as a delusion that's that's coming or a deception perhaps more importantly that's coming you know we we recently marked the 75th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese 75 years December 7th 1941 last week we we blew by that date with little fanfare by the media with little mentioned by the media and uh, I had written today that perhaps even more egregious than that is that the hidden and revised history that is associated with events involving the Nazi Party following the end of World War II, specifically the true disposition of the Nazi Party and their agenda, is at odds with the information contained in traditional history books. For that agenda does appear to be operational today. And I've noticed a convergence, and I really would want everyone to understand this, a convergence of current events, a convergence of events, period, fake news, the satanic spirit-cooking elements that we hear about that is based in Thelema, uh, based in this occult that was adopted by or advanced by the Nazis in their boiler rooms inside deep within Nazi Germany. So all of that, what we're seeing with respect to the current events, in one way or another, whether directly or indirectly, tangentially or or right there, have some relationship to the Nazis. Now, I know uh, that there is this aversion to bring the Nazis into a conversation 
any conversation. But we're talking about strictly we're talking about World War Two and the Nazi Party as they and the the operations and projects clandestine and more uh, overt subsequent to World War Two. We're talking as well about the South Pole. We're talking about Antarctica. The Sun recently, today, as a matter of fact, uh, published an article in the Sun over in the UK uh, about this base, or, or the, I'm sorry, this this uh, uh, this life forms, uh, previous life forms, perhaps uh, existing there at, at at Antarctica. But having said all of that, again, these are all issues or incidents that, that seem to have not just relevance but timing is is all serendipitous well serendipitous to the uninformed divinely inspired to the christians but understanding what took place in the waning months of the second world war including the ultra secret programs such as operation paperclip and operation high jump will aid in our understanding of events today after i read reread empire beneath the ice and contemplated, thought, prayerfully considered what is taking place today and compared it to what Steve Quayle had written extensively in his book Empire Beneath the Ice. I said, wait a minute, there is too much going on today, so much going on that we have to have, I'd like to really, I'd like to have Steve, Steve on to talk about his book Empire Beneath the Ice, his findings in that book, especially with the revelations, their daily revelations about Antarctica. And I'm not going to get in I, I don't want to take much more time from Steve Quayle because I uh, the, the the fact of the matter is he has done so much research and has so many revelations in the Empire Beneath the Ice. I have moved this book up to a must read, at least in my view, as a Christian for Christians. And I and I think with the holidays coming if if you're looking for that hard to buy person Empire Beneath the Ice, if you don't have it, or if that person doesn't have it, would be the book, at least in my view, to purchase for that person, for the knowledge that it contains, for the insight that it contains, and for uh, what was once laughed at as conspiracy theory, mocked for being conspiracy theory, is now coming to to light and fruition. With that, Steve Quayle, thank you so much for agreeing to join us today on the, for this hour on the Hagman Report. Well, Doug, thank you so much, and it was astonishing to me to wake up. I think it was about 3.30 in this morning mountain posting, but one of the things that struck my attention is obviously on the 10th, I had posted on my hot headlines for the alert for my new Empire Beneath the Ice uh, trailer talking about what's going on in the Antarctica, and by the way, thanks to J.D., who did a, an amazing job on that. But what I said here was interesting. This is a must-read book, as it will soon dominate the headlines of the world, leading us to the greatest deception in the history of mankind. Now, I wrote that on the 10th, okay? Now, I want to share something. Uh, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I just basically am trying to walk out what God gives to me. And again, there are people that want to challenge that on every blog that's out there. But let me share this. Before going on the air tonight, I got an email from Brian, okay, who lives in Australia. And the March-June uh, period of 2015, he was given a very astonishing word on the future of Australia. 
Now, let me just, I'll excerpt this, and then I'm going to go into full bore, you know, meltdown mode on this. He's saying this, the invasion comes in from the south. Most people would think from the north. He's talking about the invasion of Australia. History tells us about Darwin being struck from the north, meaning Australia. Antarctica is the key. The country who really controls it will have it as a base. Now, I asked Doug in an email, I'm sorry, I asked Brian in an email, sorry about that, Brian, uh, if he had ever read anything about Antarctica, was familiar with my work in any way, shape, or form, and he said no. What prompted him pretty much to send me the email were the headlines on my website today. And then just within the uh, last, I guess, uh, Jeremy, who lives in New Zealand, but he's headed to Australia, uh, basically just sent me a new uh, article, the fact is, Antarctica, concern over scientific research funding, cast dark shadow over the future of Australia's share. And Australia is one of the original 12, I think, signatories to the treaty down there. But let's fast forward now. It's my contention, Doug, and I've been on talk radio 25 years, I think, off and on, either as a host or as a guest. I've done a lot of investigating in this. The first time I even broached Antarctica, it was in my book, Genetic Armageddon, and I think that was close to 15 years ago. In, in the new book, Empire Beneath the Ice, the reason this is critical is there is no human way that that book could have been printed at the time it was released. I think, went, I think we started last year, close to December. And now the headlines are really echoing the very importance, relevance, and concern and unusual events that are taking place in Australia, I'm sorry, in Antarctica and in Australia. Now, what's fascinating, why this is even more relevant, uh, the gentleman who is the main host on uh, Hunting Hitler for the History Channel, Bob Baer, was quoted as saying he doesn't believe the election was fair. Now, remember, he is a CIA, uh, and they say former intel asset, not at all. There is no such thing, and those of you in the agency know this is true, once in, always in, unless you either die or escape to another planet or whatever. But the point is, and I'm not kidding about that, the point that's interesting to me, Doug, is that the whole Hunting Hitler uh, uh, series is probably one of the most well-funded and most, I think, one of the best productions in the world as to what really happened to Hitler. Now, it should be obvious to everyone who's reading my headlines that I'm posting, Tom Horn that he's posting on skywatchnews.com, you and I and, and Tom have had numerous uh, uh, three-hour sessions on Hagman and Hagman, and we've been warning about AI, artificial intelligence, we've been uh, warning about CRISPR, in essence, the easy way to edit genes, we've been uh, uh, warning about everything from super soldiers, and John and even to the point where saying that when Michael Crichton, I remember doing this show with you about a year ago, actually you probably remember better than I do, but I said when Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park, and that was, you know, I mean, what, close to 15 years ago, it, the 
idea of cloning dinosaurs was in fantasy. But now everybody from Russia, China, everyone in the world with any money and any concern of being left behind is doing three very, uh, I would say this, beyond the days of Noah undertakings. The first is uh, is basically combining human and animal DNA. This is going to be relevant to Antarctica in a minute. The second is super soldiers. And the third is the whole merging, and by the way, these have 103,000 points underneath them, but these are just the big three. The end of human beings, as you know it, and the merging with machines that Ray Kurzweil basically termed uh, singularity. And probably I would encourage everyone to read the classic work that was put out by Bill Joy, uh, the founder of Sun Microsystems, when he said he wrote the the, the quintessential forward-looking essay on why the future doesn't need us anymore. You remember talking about that, Doug, almost you know ten years ago? And, I, I, and, and I so do. The, Yep. So here's what I want to say. The Antarctica is really important because based on my studies, and look, I can't know what I know unless people tell me. I have not been to the Antarctica, and for the record, I don't belong to any intelligence organization. As a matter of fact, most of them hate my guts. But the point is, the living God says, surely he will do nothing except, except he reveals his secrets to his servants and prophets. Now, I am not a prophet. I want to make that clear. I have never claimed to be in 9,000 hours and don't now. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And God so loves his people. The thing that motivates myself and all the Christians that are coming up to hit the front lines, and God bless the younger generation, you know, is the fact that there is truth being released now that has never been released in the history of the world. The events that are taking place in the heavens, the skies, the sun, moon, and stars, these are all things that the scripture says are signs to the days we live in. And with the events that are taking place with uh, cosmic ray bombardment, whether we've got a, a magna star taking place and cosmic ray storms are splitting up in certain areas of the ice sheets in Antarctica calving. But I want to sh- throw everybody back to 1513 and the Perry uh, Reese map, where the northern coast of Antarctica, which, by the way, was where New Schwabenland is reported to have been located, was totally void of ice. Now, that was in 1513. And, Doug, in all the years I've been researching, there's nothing new under the sun. Orwell, you quoted him in your article, obviously they who control the past determine the future. Or they can lay out the future. Uh, Tim Alberino's marvelous work, and it is a marvelous work, on Sir Francis Bacon, uh, you know, and, and Atlanta's rising is really critical for people to understand that the advanced technology that we now have was detailed in great detail in the 1500s. Interestingly enough, Doug, about the same time as the Perry Reese map, okay? Now, there are claims that Francis Bacon is Shakespeare. I'm not going to argue that tonight, but I will tell you this. He was not dumb. So there's been a priesthood, even a Plato in Timaeus, that talks about Atlantis, refers to it. And I want to make this clear. No place in my 
uh, understanding research or talking with people that have uh, security clearances that most people don't even uh, believe exist, okay? They're touched upon and people automatically dismiss it. But the Antarctic has always been a place of unusual habitation. When Admiral Byrd, and keep in mind, Admiral Byrd was the foremost polar, both uh, South Pole and North Pole explorer of our time. This wasn't a flake. It wasn't a crackpot. And again, when he was tasked to go down in 1947 in Operation High Jump with 13 ships to seek out the Nazi bases, and it was to be a two-year undertaking, it ended up being just uh, several months because basically, even according to Russian video, not video, it would have been filmed in those days, but that's on video now. You can look it up on the Internet. Uh, we got our butts kicked literally by flying saucers that came out of the water and came out from under the ice. Now, everybody fast forward to Roswell, New Mexico, and after 1947, everything happened. Now, Doug, you've been sharing with the, uh, you know, going back and rereading Empire Beneath the Ice, and, and I think it's critical for people to understand. Warner Von Braun and others are on record as stating it wasn't that the Germans were any smarter than anybody, and these are their words, but they had help from the spirit world. Yes. Now, that's yes. critical. It, that's it, critical. it is. So, yeah. And, and you know, yeah. as you were reading, Doug, or forgive me, rereading Empire Beneath the Ice, what is it that stood out to you the second time that you missed the first time? Maybe you didn't miss anything, uh -huh. but what was it that, that basically just smote you or provoked your thoughts and going, my, my goodness, now I see it, Lord. Well, against the backdrop of, we'll say, Genesis 6 Giants, which you, which you wrote, against the backdrop of my understanding, my reading of the Bible, and against the backdrop of today's headlines that include, but of course is not limited to, things like the spirit cooking uh, uh, headlines, Buzz Aldrin having to be evacuated from the South Pole, Kerry visiting the South Pole, first, you know, highest person ever uh, on Election Day. Um, all what what struck me as uh, really important is your work, Empire Beneath the Ice. In my view, had laid the foundation for the headlines of today. Now, I, folks, as hard as that might be to really understand what I'm saying here, I really hope you do. When you when you read Empire Beneath the Ice, and then you take. The headlines of today that include even even the most seemingly disjointed uh, um, or disambiguated uh, ambiguated uh, headlines, it, it everything kind of points back to the affairs activities of the Nazis. And what really got me is when I went to search some of the the information uh, just to verify through the National Archives, Steve, of uh, Admiral Byrd's research. That information remains classified to this day. So his yeah. diaries, notes, journals. Okay. So I'm thinking. Wait a minute. There's something here. So th this book kind of it, it fills a void that, like no other book I've read, with respect to the Nazis and with respect to the Nazi influence over the global shadow government today. And that's kind of really hit me upside the head when I when I uh, Sunday night I was. Right before I did Dave Hodges, I was thinking, man, this is really prescient for today's um, stuff. So that's kind of what hit me. 
Well, I, I think even even I'm surprised, and I know that sounds kind of uh, disassociative, how I can be surprised, but here's the thing. Over the years, as I've written about this stuff, researched it, people have contacted me, and one of the most interesting contacts after doing Coast to Coast with George Norrie was the fact that I got contacted by the great-grandson of Admiral Dernitz, okay, Vice Admiral, who actually became the Fuhrer when it was believed that the Fuhrer had been, uh, you know, uh, committed suicide, which is total nonsense. And in Empire Beneath the Ice, as you know, the first chapters, I lay out the fact that Stalin didn't believe he died, Eisenhower didn't believe he died, the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover didn't believe he died, meaning Hitler, and they had too many eyewitnesses. And as you know, that, that bunch of FBI files was just released in the last several years. Now you ask yourself this, timing. Timing is the most critical event when it comes to prophecy. There comes a point when you've been uh, preaching, teaching, uh, proclaiming, for those who are prophets prophesying, for those who are watchmen warning, that these days are coming. And then all of a sudden they come. And let me share this. If it's true, and I believe it is, uh, let me change the if to as. As it's true that the Hollywood elite are in bed, bed, literally, I'm sure beyond uh, where I care to go with this statement, with the the intelligence and vice versa, uh, you know, with all their programs and scripts. And by the way, Doug, every single script that comes out of Hollywood is reviewed by the intelligence community. I don't know if you're aware of that. Absolutely. Yes, and so yeah, that, you, that's, you, yeah. Go ahead, uh, John. John, uh, just so for, for people, uh, people who know John Robertson, uh, who is uh, the help is part of the Hagman re, uh, Report team, former Hollywood insider knows exactly what you're talking about in the these scripts that that go. You're exactly right. I, I guess I didn't need more explanation, but the verification is there from our inside and, and sources. So yes, you're absolutely correct, Steve. And, and we're well, about a minute and, away from break. Okay, and then when we come back, I'll carry on. But what's most interesting to me is the fact that God strategically places the information, whether people use it or not. It's the old adage, the Illuminati have to telegraph what they're going to do ahead of time. And, Doug, everything, everything centers at this point around Antarctica. Joe mentioned, you mentioned, we forget the most powerful religious people in the world, the Pope, you know, that contemporary entity, and uh, Kirill, who's, uh, or Kyril, who's the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, went down there. The entity in the White House uh, went down there, uh, meaning the abomination, and there are other world leaders carry too, but there are so many secret liaisons that you and I don't know about that don't get published going on, and when we come back, remind me to talk about uh, Greg Evenson's sources. God bless Greg. Everyone keep praying for me for him because, again, Greg passes information sometimes that he gets from people I don't know, I don't want to know, but let me share this. The concern in a certain branch of special operations beyond JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command, beyond even where they're allowed to go, is what's coming from Antarctica and what it has to do with the giant gates. All right, Steve, we're going to pick up right there on the other side. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report with Steve Quill, our guest this hour. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Hagman and Hagman Report. Steve Quayle, he's our guest, author of many books, including Empire Beneath the Ice. And you know what, folks? Uh, I really hope, I, I really do, as we enter into this Christmas season, if you are, if you give gifts for the Christmas season, invest wisely rather than that, uh, that, uh, you know, Santa Claus tie for the guy, you know, for the man in your life that lights up or the, the really ugly sweater. Can I recommend something? Empire Beneath the Ice. That will have the recipient reading and reading a lot and then understanding where things are today. That's not a sales pitch. This is a plea for everyone to be informed. That's, that, that's what I'm, you know, it, it's one thing to, to, to say, hey, you should buy a book. No, it's the information that's in this book that is so incredible to me that really, really hit me upside the head this weekend as events are unfolding right before our very eyes. And you know, there's a part in this book. It's, it's actually on the, on the back cover. And I mentioned it, um, in my, uh, in my article today. I, I just, I, I think it's so important that this is what it's all about. Um, it, it uh, uh, and I'm going to quote it exactly here because I think it's, I think this is, this is it. You know, history in the bi- biblical worldview, in order to fool the masses, certain aspects of history ha- have to be re- revised. Such, and such revision continues today. Indeed it does. The purpose behind this is to ready the population for a great deception that will ultimately perhaps perhaps even welcome a takeover by a dictator who could be best described as the Antichrist of the Bible. Empire Beneath the Ice gives insight to help prevent this diabolical takeover, or if it does occur, it reveals the details and essential actions that you and your loved ones must take and exposes the dangers our world faces. And that su- summarizes the importance of Empire Beneath the Ice. Now, before we get back to Steve, very quickly, I, I'm, uh, if, if you are a manager or if you're someone who is in charge of hiring people, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place, as I said earlier, is just not enough anymore. And, and you don't want to be juggling emails, phone calls, and all the stuff that goes with the cumbersome process of hiring the best possible candidate. That's why we and other companies use ZipRecruiter. Because if you do want to find that perfect hire, you need to post your job on all of the top job sites. Now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city, industry, nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. And if I can use it, you can use it, believe me. No more juggling emails, calls to your office quickly, screen candidates, rate them, hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. Right now, folks, go to ZipRecruiter. You can, listeners can, right now, you, the listeners of this program, can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Free trial. One more time to try it for free. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. Steve, you've done a marvelous job with Empire Beneath the Ice. Let's go ahead and continue because this is so, so relevant to today. Well, I, 
again, I, I urge everyone to continue to pray for Greg Evenson. I'll tell you what, even though that guy can't get up and, you know, let's say kick the devil's butt as he used to because he's, you know, getting therapy back to get on his his legs because obviously they had to amputate his toes. And that man's been hit with everything. And if there's anything called resiliency, bravery, and determination, yet a love for Jesus that's off the charts, I would tell you this. I have yet to meet anyone who has gone through what Greg Evenson has gone through that maintains his faith in Jesus. Now, I understand this. He's a warrior, okay? He's not a wimp. And yet, do you know the number one thing that the people are talking to him about that they're worried about? It's what's going on in Antarctica, okay? Now, for those of you who may not understand it, Patagonia was literally means Bigfoot. And there, you know, you look up Magellan, you look up his voyage, and there, there are woodcuts showing the size. And then all of uh, the revisionist historians who are on the payroll of the intelligence community don't want the truth known. So I want to read something, Doug, out of the Word of God. Because when I go on your show, I'm praying that those who have ears to hear will absolutely uh, have a, a revelation. I've even seen Christians, you know, I don't read all the negative stuff that's said about me, but claiming I'm a fear monger and a fear porn purveyor. Now, here's what Hosea says. Jesus then, by their own claims to be or claiming him as Savior, then Jesus was a liar, or Jesus didn't tell the truth. And since God is truth, and there is no shadow of turning or lying in him, then where's the problem? It's not with the truth or the presentation of truth. It's with the denial. Here it is, Hosea 4, 5 through 7. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet shall also fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people, God speaking, are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because they, I don't want to put the they, they have rejected knowledge. And then he says, but thou, because you have rejected knowledge, I'm also going to reject you, that you shall be no priest to me, seeing you have forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Now, if there's ever a, a, a reason, I believe in something called substitute reality, okay? You can call it virtual reality, or you could call it uh, reality avoidance disorder. You know, I remember, I don't know how many years ago, I'm probably dating myself, but, you know, uh, a newer beatnik term is anything was very cool, you know, it was rad. Do you remember that, R-A-D? Oh, yeah. Well, it was so rad that uh, the reality was uh, always, always avoided. And so now you've got a world, okay, a world that lives in a virtual world. They escape, and the only reason they can uh, basically play in that world is because the power's on, they can still eat. Once the power's off and they can't eat, then all the video games and everything they've learned become irrelevant, and so do their lives. And I'm saying that not to condemn, but to tell them it's time to realize that there are things going on in the world that truly will affect you. Back to Greg Evenson's uh, sources, and I won't identify their rank or where they're at, and some of them I only know rank and uh, the proximity, but I don't know their names. I choose not to know names. 
Anybody that wants to know name, and I'm going to say this again. This is so critical. Who could have warned except the heart of a living, loving God that wants his people not to be taken in by the lies and by, if you will, the charade of hell, by the camouflage of, uh, of uh, evil entities? So here's the deal. Men's hearts are going to fail them for fear of looking after those things upon, coming upon the earth. Well, I guess that means that God is a fear pro fear porn purveyor. I guess that God is, you know, doesn't do anything except just to make people frightened. Now, of course, that's not true. What I want to say, Doug, is this tonight, too. When you're dealing with the Antarctica and some of the secret labs, you know, one of the pictures or one of the movies that nailed it, not to the degree of the actual imagery of what went on, but on the scale of some of it, was the X-Files movie, the first one. And what's interesting, I have talked to people, some of them are dead now, who have been in the underground labs. I'll even tell you this, there are famous people that you've all heard on the radio, uh, you know, in Christendom, that have literally been there. So, you know, I, I think the point that I'm trying to make is this. Instead of going out and saying, Quail's crazy, Hagman's crazy, or, uh, you know, Horn is this or Horn is that, you know, the thing is, you should take it to the Lord in prayer. And if people spend more time on blogs and on uh, rags than they do seeking God, because, I mean, I've never seen, Doug, in the years of, uh, in the years I've been on talk radio and since email's been invented, so many people absolutely uh, fighting God on his love for them by giving them a heads up. Now, I believe Jesus has given Christians power over all this stuff. But here's what everyone's got to understand. When you're in the southern hemisphere, you can see things in the heavens. And because of whatever are called gamma ray bursts and the different, what I would call, energy. And there are energies that classic physicists know nothing about. Let me share this. I was one time informed in a very, very long personal presentation uh, I, I'm going to say, someone who shoved, so guess what, guys? There's no records of this where you go see, who did he meet with, who did he meet with? Someone who identified himself and said, I'll tell you who I am, I'll tell you what you know, and I'll tell you what you don't know, okay? And I knew he knew what he was talking about. I couldn't verify or validate the uh, stuff he told me that I've never heard before, but I will say this, now everything he said to me is coming to pass. And so I want to share this. If the Christians in America and worldwide cannot see that they're targeted for extinction, and whether you believe Albert Pike's Third World War vision or not, somebody believes it, if you don't care about children being basically sexually molested, being cannibalized, I'm serious, being absolutely tortured beyond my de de desire or ability to define it. If you don't care about that stuff, then you better go on your knees tonight and say, Lord, I claim to know you, but do you know me? Because the most dangerous words that will ever be echoed to any of us who are playing games is, depart from me, ye who work iniquity. I never knew you. Now Amen. listen, iniquity is in the land. Iniquity is the lawlessness we see. And and I don't know how the whole thing with Trump plays out. I, I'm, I'm standing by what I said. Listen, let me share something, give everybody a treat. Henry Gruber was in Bozeman for two days. We filmed him for seven or eight hours. I talked to him for probably 20 hours. That's not an exaggeration. 
the amount of revelation that is coming to that man and listen after 50 years of walking the earth i think he's been in 60 countries and everything that can happen to him has happened to him including dying for 30 minutes the things that god is excuse me has revealed is revealed and is going to reveal to those who will watch the dvds they'll be posted for free they'll be on doug's site my site stevequail.com they'll be on truelegendsaseries.com and they'll be on, uh, you know, the the avenues that are out there. So, Doug, all I can share with you is this, that, you know, I've been around uh, uh, since I got saved and God saved my miserable self, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, I don't even want to go there, but listen, the best statement I could ever come up with is one night I'm in the gutter, literally, I'm, I, I lived in the gutter, and I'm talking morally, and every way else, not as a you know a homeless person, but instantly accepting Jesus, I'm taking to literally you know uh, the uttermost, meaning God. And so the thing is, is that I don't know everything. I don't pretend to. But the Lord simply asked me this: Will you be willing to warn my people of what's coming? And I said, Well, Lord, I don't even know what's coming. And that's about as honest as I know how to be. He said, if you will be faithful and obedient, I will bring the people to you. Because my question, I've said it on this radio program before, is how do I go and find the people that know? And a lot of people have mocked me saying, yeah, he can't know all those people. You're absolutely right. I can't. It's an impossibility. It melts my mind. But God is faithful. So, again, I'm saying this. If any of you are having a hard time with this and claiming it's boogeyman uh, Bible, then you you need to basically get on your knees and let's say this, dismiss it once and for there are people that have dismissed me forever, you know, as being a this or a that or another thing, fine, but you've just robbed yourself of the blessing that I could have been used to be in your life. Maybe God will raise up someone else. I'm not saying I'm anything except trying to be obedient. But Doug, here's the thing. Empire Beneath the Ice is absolutely critical to the future understanding of what happened. Because we're not talking about six million people being destroyed besides Jews, Christians, gypsies, the old, the infirmed, you know, you name it. We're talking about, based on the the Bible's revelation of two-thirds of the world. Now, is that fearful? You bet. And for those of you who can't get away from the fear or the, the, the uh, you know, accusations towards those of us who are warning, let me share this with you. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Some of you are in there, and he's giving you space to repent. I would encourage you, as I would encourage me and everyone else, to make repentance, to keep our hearts right with the Lord as a number one priority, and then to prepare. The fact that the empire beneath the ice, there are bacteria, there are viruses, and there are life forms. And I'm not talking about paramecium. I'm not talking about unicellular or multicellular little things that swim, you know, in Lake Vostok, there are things that have been frozen in the ice. And I put up a, uh, a statement on my website, and already I can see people. 
if you understand that there are in excess of 200 known weather patents, and that's not even called weather modification patents, let me share this. If Pierre Reese's map is true, and I believe it is because there's too much legend, myth, and uh, empirical evidence, then is it conceivable to any of you that a supernatural, angelic, fallen angel technology could produce an ice cap? And what happens if all the seismic events going on, all the volcanism, by the way, just do a quick study on how many volcanoes are under Antarctica. What happens when God reveals that which has been hidden? What happens? Because right now, and I know this is hard, let me make this clear, because I don't want to phase. I want to stay on track tonight. It's critical. The idea that technology exists that can basically imagine a, a, a an ice weapon that can cool the atmosphere and direct the moisture and literally accelerate a buildup like that almost over a matter of decades, if not faster than that. I had a general tell me once, I praise listening, he said, we have found things that are in a form of frozen at absolute zero that are, are, are mechanical, there are humanoids in them. They absolutely, we've tried to thaw them out. We've tried to do this. We've tried to do that. But they exist, are you ready for this, in a frozen state of matter and material. And though even in that state, they give off some of the most unique uh, electromagnetic signatures. Now, I have a friend, Doug, who has been a Cold War warrior. I've talked about him before on this show. God bless you, my brother. You know who you are. That, you know core reality. So when we start talking about this kind of stuff, and by the way, multiple stargates in Antarctica, multiple stargates off the oceans of the world, and and the idea under the ocean, under the earth, and, and again, if I could leave everybody with this thought, it's never what you see above the surface that's important, but it's what's underneath the surface that's more important. When Jesus said men's hearts will fail them for fear of looking after those things coming up, U-P, on, O-N, the earth, uh, we're going to be in a sandwich that only God can get us out of because not only are things coming up on the earth, they're coming down upon the earth as the book of Revelation states, woe unto inhabitants of the earth because the devil has come down, come down amongst you having great wrath. There's a difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan. The wrath of Satan, you're seeing it now. You're seeing God unmasking, and no pun intended on this, the literal appetite of hell. As someone, I would say, I can take my place with no uh, bravado or bragging. As someone who has spent four decades uh, researching this stuff, that's 40 years, I'm 65, so two-thirds of my life are, are close to it. You know, I can tell you that the average person, and even when I've presented this stuff, you know it, Doug, when I first talk about this, you said this on your radio program. Alex says it all the time. He said, I used to think basically Steve was too far out there, you know? Yeah. Isn't that a fair right. statement? Oh, very fair. Yep. Yep. And, and so, even, you know, yeah, the thing, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, e no, even, even to the extent when it, it's so difficult, when I first, when, when I first read, my first reading of Empire Beneath the Ice, for example, I had a hard time, um, uh, cognitively, 
uh, processing the information, the trappings of evil, for example, that you had uh, that that you had shown the fact that uh, the true nature of Satan it, uh, via the physical manifestation of Hitler and and what came from that and what is still from that, how it affects everything in the world of geopolitics today, Steve, and even the anecdotal. Not not documented, but the anecdotal claims that that you um, lay out in this book, it's diff- it was difficult for me to really comprehend this. But then once you look at this via the larger perspective, it becomes much clearer. And and that's why again I think it's so critical for people to really get this. I mean, get understand this, comprehend this, because the coming delusion will entrap many. So go ahead, Steve. Well, I think many are already trapped. Let me give you this, too. This is from uh, Tom, Tom in Georgia. Great point. He says, listening to you now talking about Antarctica, I was wondering if there was any connection to D-Wave computing and Antarctica. I know the machine has to be run at super cold temperatures. Just a thought. Well, you're right on, and cheers to you, Tom. The reason why he's bringing this up is there are states of matter, and there are quantum fields, and there are... Uh, uh, parallel dimensions that we know nothing of. By the way, one of the things I asked the general that fought these things and fights these things to this day, I said, does cold affect him? He laughed. He said, Steve, these things come and can live in the coldest parts of the world. Now, that's critical, okay? Because when you deal with cryogenic, uh, 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 putting something into suspended animation, stasis, stasis, S-T-A-S-I-S, uh, just a short for uh, suspended animation. Even the, the the girl who died, she had her dad put her, and he didn't want to do it, but she wanted to be put into uh, suspended animation. The famous baseball player, uh, Ted, uh, what was his name, Williams, wanted to be put in. So the thing that everybody now should understand, you fast forward from when cryogenics first came on the scene, you know, I mean, that had to be at least 30, 40 years ago, to now we're talking about... Uh, merging the mind with such biological precision and again the thing that people have really got to understand is that when you're running massive amounts of power cooling is critical for instance if the NSA ever had a freeze out of both Utah or in Maryland you know uh, they'd, they'd have real problems because they have to keep their computers cooled and if the people in Utah figured out how much water, and, and there are articles on the web about this, just how that NSA headquarters, that it's using up so much water that, you know, uh, basically intelligence gathering, literally with the requirements to cool all of the uh, speed at which the friction is generated, even on a uh, a, a, a subatomic level, the, the, the CERN, the absolute, and the CERN is only one of them, by the way, the desire to penetrate, excuse me, penetrate these realms. It's all been done before, okay? And Doug, that's kind of what's the hardest thing because there's nothing new under the sun. So it's literally back to the future time. And so when, yeah, and that's that's hard for people to get, especially people who are who are, let's just say this, in a world of virtual reality, not seeing what's coming their way, and don't realize what absolute. Uh, uh, how should I say this? The they're in a place that. 
that they have been mind-controlled were beyond Orwell's telepresence. We're now, and I use the word, we're now in Satan's telepresence, okay? We've gone from telepresence to telepresence. One of the responses I got from your show is when I said to all the people, imagine the day when your big screen TV or something, a takeoff of it, becomes a portal, and what you think you're watching, you know, with whatever you eat to watch the movies, remember, there comes a time when that kind of stuff comes through. And I'll tell you, one of the movies that even brought that into uh, reality was the movie Tron, okay? Sure, it was science fiction, but again, guess who had to okay it? So uh, every bit, uh, here's what I'd like to say. Every bit of Hollywood's preconditioning of the science fiction matter, remember when uh, uh, Minority Report Report came out? That came out, the movie came out, what, a half a dozen years ago? And now everything you're reading about, even little dolls that kids buy, recording every word that the kids or the parents speak, you know, in the presence of the doll and transmit it to law enforcement. Uh, they can read your mind, your thoughts. The, the the battlefield of the mind is still beyond most Christians or most normal people to even entertain what that war means. Would you say that's a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. And Minority Report, by the way, came out in 2002. A critical okay, so and, you know, 14 it's, years, it's, yeah, 14 yeah, years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all coming together, and what was once science fiction fantasy is now, uh, of course, real in in many areas. So we have well, to really let me understand. Ask, let me tell you this: there's imagination. Okay, the first place that God dealt with human imagination, apart from revelation, was at the Tower of Babel, was it not? Yes, right. God said, let us go down and confound their images, or, or their languages, lest, you know, lest that which they purpose in their heart. I'm not quoting it word for word, but uh, I've got to slow down. I'm going 900 miles an hour because I know we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, I'll come down to 200. That was the first confrontation of evil imaginations. Fast forward in the New Testament. That's why we're commanded to take every thought captive to the obedience of the cross of Jesus, casting down vain imaginations. Most people wouldn't put that back to the days of Babylon. I don't know if you do, but the point is, is that it's critical. So what I'm trying to do, Doug, in the closing minutes, and I'd encourage everybody to get this book, I can tell you from worldwide orders, it's hitting a nerve. And for the record, People are turning their hearts to Jesus, because I don't write anything that isn't based on the Word of God or providing people a solution and an answer, So, for, because there is no, there is salvation, no under na- other name. And yet the fear that everyone else is, is uh, you know, accusing me of provoking, usually I call it the uh, wet diaper syndrome, okay? They're piddling their britches, and then they're complaining to me that they're piddling their britches. Well, you know, the bottom line, right. the bottom line is, is that maybe they should uh, get to that point where perfect love casts out all fear. And that's in Amen. Jesus Christ. Steve, you, you did a wonderful job laying this all out. And uh, I'm going to uh, make a special offer to our listeners who do buy this book. Uh, uh, the first 20 who do, uh, do do buy your book, Empire Beneath the Ice, send me an email. I'll send you a free copy of my book, Stained by Wow. Blood. So, what a what a great thing, and thank you, Doug. God bless each and every one of you. I, I'm grateful to have the or, you know to be uh, proceeding the gentleman you're going to have on to give a marvelous testimony of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Okay.
Bye-bye. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're so fortunate to have uh, so many great guests with us. In this uh, segment, we have uh, a very interesting, wonderful gentleman, former Navy, Navy SEAL. Well, I guess I don't, I don't think you're ever former. You're always a Navy SEAL. We're going to be getting into uh, some some tremendous information uh, with this tremendous gentleman. You, you Folks, you might remember some time back we had David Thomas on, wrote a book about a Navy SEAL. This is the Navy SEAL the book is about. And Joe's going to explain that here momentarily. Before we do get to our guest, I want to, of course, mention that uh, this segment brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Go to omahasteaks.com. And when you do, in the search bar, put HH in the search bar for my family special pack. Now, uh, I've used this this season for Christmas gifts. I, we've used this at the Hagman household for uh, our own food purchases. OmahaSteaks.com. You know, if you're struggling to find the perfect gift for someone who has it all, it, it, the holidays, two weeks, really. Mm-hmm. What is it? Two weeks, Joe? Yeah, mm-hmm. two weeks. Two it, weeks and a few days. Yeah, I mean, it's they're coming very, very no, fast. No, yeah, you're right. So, Get the get the perfect gift and avoid the malls, lines, and crowds. Do what we do and do it smart. And one of the smartest things I think that you could possibly do, go to omahasteaks.com in the search bar, type in HH. They have this wonderful, this is a perfect gift. Let me tell you, Omaha Steaks and how. For just under fifty dollars, forty nine ninety nine, you can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. It's a seventy seven percent off, seventy seven percent savings. It was two hundred and fifteen dollars and ninety cents. Yours for forty nine ninety nine. Now, in addition to this family gift pack, and I'm going to tell you what's in it real quick here, uh, but. Before I do, you have to understand Omaha Steaks, it's kind of a one-stop shop. They've got over, well, they have so many unique gifts and gourmet, uh, gourmet items for gourmet food lovers. They've got the most flavorful tender aged beef. They've got seafood, poultry, pork, veal, lamb. They've got veg- veggies, desserts, appetizers, anything and everything you could want. And they are the highest quality. Uh, to, and offer one of a kind flavor. Remember, I mentioned my family gift pack. Well, right now, Omaha Steaks is giving to you exclusive savings just to our listeners. Listen to everything you can get right now for less than $50. You can get two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts. Now, I can stop there and you would have your money's worth, but let me go on. Four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, the 12 ounce package of all beef meatballs, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha Steaks seasoning pack, and boy, does that make the steak, wow, it's it's steakhouse greatness. And, of course, plus, you'll get four additional kielbasa sausages free. Folks, I've had so many compliments on this. 
and I've had so much satisfaction from this. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter our code HH in the search bar, add the family gift pack to your cart, and get an immediate 77% savings. It's a gift guaranteed to be a hit, but don't stop there. Keep shopping because you have the ability to get this gourmet food at reasonable and really tremendous prices. That's omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. Joe? we got a, a real special guest uh, lined up for the rest of the show this evening, and uh, we're also going to do uh, something interesting. We're going to have, in the last 45 minutes of the show, we're going to be taking calls with our guest, uh, Chad Williams. Um, a f- just a month ago or so, we had best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, David Thomas on. He is the author of Seal of God, along with Chad Williams, and this is the book that, that David Thomas discussed about uh, talked about while on air, and the main character of that book uh, is our guest tonight, Chad Williams. And he's gonna. Chad's a a, a great speaker. He's got a fantastic story, uh, and he's gonna lay out what he went through, uh, not only to become a Navy SEAL, but what he went through as a Navy SEAL while he was deployed. And um, these stories are are just amazing. Um, so we're going to what we're gonna do is we're gonna play a trailer first, and when we get done with the trailer, we're going to come back with Navy SEAL Chad Williams. And by the way, his website is NavySealChadWilliams.com. NavySealChadWilliams.com. Mm-hmm. So here goes that trailer. I remember graduation day was one of the happiest days of my life. My chest was puffed out. So proud to have that trident, the insignia that says I've become a SEAL. But at the same time, it was one of the lowest moments and most miserable moments of my life because I realized it hasn't delivered for me what I thought it would. Being as miserable as I was, but I'm a Navy SEAL now, I decided, you know what, there's nothing left. I'm just gonna drink, go out, get in fights, just be careless. I don't care. I would have blood all over me sometimes, not knowing whose blood it was. I'm not cut anywhere. I remember thinking of this as sort of like a badge of honor, like, you know, I just don't care anymore. This is part of being a SEAL. So in the midst of this chaos and living like a rock star, going out, drinking, fighting, blacking out, uh, I'd found myself agreeing to go to an event uh, where a man by the name of Greg Glory was going to be speaking. And as I was listening to Greg speak, he was talking about a commander, and that got my attention as a Navy SEAL. And this commander by the name of Naaman, he had leprosy. Greg began to relate this leprosy to sin. And suddenly I went from this total numbness to total sensitivity and conviction. I was feeling horrible for the things that I was doing, the things I didn't care about before. And right there that night, I repented of my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The night that I got saved, I realized why becoming a SEAL didn't deliver the ultimate for me. Because just as Scott Helvinston was killed and he was hung from the Euphrates River Bridge for the sake of freedom, even greater than that, Jesus Christ was killed and he was hung from the cross at Calvary so that we could have freedom from sin. Greater love is known than this and a man that gives his life for his friends. That's what Jesus Christ uh, did for me and for everyone in the world.
All right. All right. That was the trailer uh, for Chad Williams, uh, Seal of God, and we have Chad with us right now. Uh, Mr. Williams, welcome to the Hackman and Hackman Report. Thank you for having me on, guys. I'm excited to be here with you. We're excited to have you. And by the way, if you're watching live via YouTube, you can see Mr. Williams uh, right here. Yeah. It's great to have him. Um, uh, as we bring on Chad, just want to give a special thanks to longtime uh, Hagman and Hagman listener Jessica L for setting up this interview. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic interview. Um, Chad, I had a, a chance to, to watch a few of the, some different speeches you gave uh, or uh, talks that you gave, and you have a very, very inspiring story. Um, we didn't have a chance to talk before the show, and I don't know where you want to start today, but um, your journey and what led you to become a Navy SEAL, and one of the talks you gave, I, I saw that you um, had, went through life early in your life, and, and you talked about you know going through things and quitting, and then this revelation you had about wanting to become a Navy SEAL. Um, can you can you talk about that and and how uh, of all things becoming a Navy SEAL was was the goal that uh, you set for yourself? Sure. I guess I could start kind of by giving some folks a little bit of background uh, about what it is really to be a Navy SEAL. You know, nowadays I think most people do know what Navy SEALs are, especially after the capture kill mission of Bin Laden. But, you know, there was a time when, you know, one time a girl asked me if I worked at SeaWorld or something. So uh, just to kind of clarify here, uh, SEAL, maybe your listeners didn't know this, is actually an acronym, and it stands for our areas of operation, Sea, Air, and land, and I think most people are pretty surprised to find out that we're operating on land. They're expecting us to stick to waterborne operations, but when they find out a guy like Bin Laden was killed by Navy SEALs, I remember the big question that was going around was, you know, what is there a puddle in Pakistan? These guys came crawling out of or something? Uh, but you know, that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, we've been operating on land for quite some time. Uh, to kind of give your listeners an idea of what my team was doing on my last deployment on land out in Iraq. Uh, we were tasked with hunting down men that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs IEDs. And while we're out there, we decided to work alongside uh, the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. That's called, you know, the ISOF. And one of our goals really was to teach these guys how to fight their own fights. And so really the best way to do that is to not only train them on base, how to shoot on the ranges, do a little bit of close quarters combat. I think the best thing you could do for these guys is to actually go outside the wire and fight side by side with them. And uh, if you can imagine, whole deployment's going by pretty good. You know, we bagged and gagged some bad dudes, and we were coming up on what looked like just enough time on the calendar to do maybe one more operation, and we weren't really sure if the ISOF was ready for us to take off and roll out on them. So we decided for this final operation, let's try and make it a sort of graduation operation. We'll let them plan the whole thing from the ground up, and, and we'll be there with them just in case things go bad. Uh, so they start from scratch. They need some intel. So they, they hit the streets. They find a source of information that tells them about a man that's an Iraqi policeman. So if you can picture this guy's a policeman by day, but at night back home, he's one of these bomb makers. And to kind of give you an idea of the type of coward that makes a suicide vest, you know, oftentimes these guys are not the ones that want to strap the vest on themselves. In fact, they have such a difficult time finding somebody to sign up to put on one of these vests that in one instance over there, this just kind of shows how depraved they are. They took two mentally handicapped women, strapped these vests onto them, and shoved them off into a crowded marketplace, watching from a distance like cowards as they set it off with a remote, uh, killing these women and so many more in that market area. So 
just kind of gives you an idea of the type of characters we're going after here. Uh, but, you know, we, we've got this guy's number, the ISOF. They've identified him. They've come up with this plan, how they want to approach the house, get in, grab the guy, extract. And one of the things they brought up prior to the operation is they said, you know, that, you know, they tend to get shot at more than SEALs, and they think they know why. And their response was they thought it was because of the color of our uniforms. So they're saying, we're wondering for this final operation, if you'd be willing to maybe take off your American colored uniforms and, you know, put on some, you know, ISOF colored uniforms. So we're like, all right, sure, we'll do that. And so, needless to say, my dark complexion, start growing out a little facial hair, and then get on one of these Iraqi Special Operation Force uniforms, as it turns out, I blend in pretty good with these fellas over there. In fact, my wife will try to motivate me to shave when the beard's getting a little long. She says, all right, Chad, it's time to cut it down because you look like you belong if Bin Laden's family or something. So it's true. So here we go, blending in with these guys, and I happen to be standing behind the 50 caliber machine gun that night. I'm standing up in the Humvee, a little section we call the turret. I've got my night vision goggles on. I'm looking through my green little world. I'm just kind of going over the usual mental inventory. I've got all these checks going off in my head. I know where this guy lives. I know how we're getting in. I know how we're grabbing him. I know how we're getting out. All these I knows, but there is one unique I know about this operation that was different than every other operation. I know this is the last operation, which also means I know just a matter of days from now, I'm going to be back home, Huntington Beach, California. That's my hometown, surfing in the ocean. But what none of us really knew about that night was we were actually being set up the entire time uh, to get thrown in the absolute worst circumstances we'd been in on this entire deployment as we were being set up on an ambush and really getting involved in a gunfight for our lives. Now, before I touch on what happened, you know, that night, I, I want to backtrack a little bit to what you mentioned, you know, my road to becoming a Navy SEAL. Uh, fresh out of high school, going into the local community college, I guess you could say I taste a little bit of identity in skateboarding. Uh, I was sponsored by a popular shoe company, Band Shoes. I was doing some competing, but eventually I just kind of got burned out on it. It wasn't something that really did it for me anymore. And so next thing I know, I find myself failing all of my classes in this junior college, and really just because I wasn't attending. I'm ditching, partying, surfing with friends, and I'm coming up on the end of the year, and it just hits me like a ton of bricks as I'm driving into the school parking lot, about to take finals I didn't study for. I'm not going to make it this year. I just realized, whoa, I'm, I'm turning out to be a loser. I mean, the kind of guy that no young man wants to be. And so I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to turn this around? I want to do something big. I want to do something great. I just didn't know what that was. I didn't really have the vision. And so as I'm brainstorming, thinking, you know, what what is it? I think I come up with the perfect plan as I'm sitting there in my truck, the school parking lot, about to take these tests. Uh, the perfect plan is I'm going to go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. And I'm thinking, ooh, deadliest catch by far, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. There's some bracking rights in that. And I almost settled in on that when this other idea pops into my head. I go, wait a minute, no. Why can't I go join the military? And not just that, I, I want to be a part of the most elite. I want to go through the most difficult, grueling military training, and it entered my mind. I know what I want to be. I want to be a U.S. Navy SEAL. And so right there, that school parking lot, I'm about to go take these tests. I just make up my mind. That's what I'm doing with my life. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so my first order of business is this. If I'm going to be a frogman, that means I don't need to go to class anymore. And so I started my truck up and took off out of that school parking lot and uh, never wound up taking those tests. But yeah, as you can imagine, I had some bad news and good news to share 
uh, with my dad. And, you know, the bad news, I obviously filled him in on the fact that I'm not making it at school. I'm failing all my classes. All that time you thought I was going, I really wasn't necessarily there. Uh, but the good news, Dad, it's okay. I got a plan. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And uh, you could just put yourself probably in my dad's shoes at that moment. He's looking at me, kind of watching the track record of my life up to that point, and just trying to be the voice of reason. I remember him saying, Chad, uh, joining the military is not like anything you've ever done, son. It's not like playing ball or skateboarding or going to the local community college that when you decide you're over it, you could just stop. He says, if you join the military and maybe you find out it's not for you or suppose you quit SEAL training. He says, you know what's going to happen to you? You can't just get out of the military. You're going to find yourself stuck in the military, chipping paint off some boat in Japan. Well, he certainly had a point, and I did not like the sound of those words, and I just kind of harnessed that. I used that as motivation. That was not going to be me. And so there was something really invisible going on, I think, underneath it all that obviously he couldn't see at the time. It's a, it's a mindset. I'd already determined, I predetermined in my mind that I was willing to die before I ever gave up and rang that bell to quit SEAL training. Uh, but, you know, that's that's my mindset. Those are my words, and, and actions speak louder than words. So sort of typical young father-son relationship. We weren't really seeing eye to eye. What do we do? You know, well, I split off. You know, whatever, Dad, you don't get it. Uh, but meanwhile, I was preparing. I was doing all the running, swimming, pull-ups, push-ups, everything I could do uh, to get ready to go into BUDS, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. And as some time went by, and you guys can feel free to interrupt me at any time, I don't want to go on like a, a totally long monologue. Oh no, uh, I, I love this. I'm, I'm we're, both of us are, are just watching you and just astounded by the information. Uh, the only thing we will say is, folks, you're listening to Chad Williams, Navy SEAL, and uh, the, this incredible, these incredible stories. Uh, so thank you. Continue, please. Okay, so I, I'm getting ready to go in, and I think after a while, my dad could tell that I'm taking this pretty serious, and so uh, he invites you back up into the house, and he says, so. Uh, you really want to do this, huh? You want to be a SEAL? I don't think he's getting on board. Like, yeah, Dad, I want to be a SEAL. He goes, great. I set up a workout for you with the Navy SEAL. Check out my computer screen. And I'll never forget glancing over at the computer screen and seeing this little one-liner in an email. All it says is this, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm thinking, like, play? Like, Dad, you met some guy on the Internet that says he wants to play with me, and you're arranging this? Oh, no, no, he's he's a SEAL, Chad. And I'm just like, Dad, you can't believe anything somebody just tells you on the web. And he's insisting, no, this guy really is a SEAL. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go meet up with this guy. And so what really happened, I didn't know about this at the time. My dad had spent some time on the phone with this Navy SEAL uh, by the name of Scott Helvenston prior to that email. And so when he gets on the phone with them, uh, he was telling them, hey, look, uh, my son wants to be this Navy SEAL, and I'm wondering if you could just do me a real big favor. Would you be willing to meet up with my son? And I'm asking you to crush him, uh, to, to bury him, beat this desire of becoming a SEAL out of him. And so I didn't know about that part. And so off I go to Oceanside, California, meet up with this Navy SEAL by the name of Scott Helvenston uh, in a beachside parking lot. And I remember him spotting me right away. Uh, you, Chad? And I'm, I'm in the crosshairs of the SEAL now. Uh, yes, he goes, all right, Bubba. I was Bubba from that point forward. Get on over here. And so Scott's got me doing uh, some calisthenics, some push-ups, pull-ups, and sit-ups, things that I've been working on. I'm, I'm hanging in there. And there's another guy that was there that uh, was a – he's a Marine, but he's going to reenlist into the military, into the Navy. He's an aspiring SEAL. He wants to go down that route. 
And so I think this was like really my first exposure to being around uh, any guys in the military. And so I've got this Marine, I've got this Navy SEAL. I'm really trying to size myself up. I'm a young guy. You know, I, th- I think I was like 18 years old at the time, maybe just turning 19. Kind of a cocky, arrogant kid. As soon as I realize I'm hanging in there with these guys, I start getting puffed up. And Scott says, you know, all right, Bubba, referring to me and this other guy. He says, you know, why don't you and this fellow Seth, you guys go for a run out to the wetlands. I've got some gear to clean up back here at the truck. Uh, but you, you know, Seth, lead the way first 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, Bubba, you go ahead, take over. You go as fast as you want to go. And so, as it turns out, Seth was one of these real big, muscular, brute force kind of guys, which is great for plowing a door over or carrying a heavy load. But, you know, when it comes to running at a fast pace, a great distance, you know, that, that's not really the, uh, the the physique you want, right? You want to be a wiry guy, and that's what I was. At the time, I'm like 145 pounds soaking wet. I'm like a gazelle. Ray, just take off on this guy. And so 15 minutes into the run, we're trotting along. It's my time to take the lead. And so here I go. I'm just taking off. And like I said, arrogant young guy. I'm thinking, I'm going to burn this Marine. He's not going to keep up with me. I'm looking back. He just disappears in this trail. I don't even know where the final destination is. All I know is I'm running down this trail into the wetlands, and, like, civilization is getting, you know, thinner and thinner here. And then I'm looking back thinking, where's this Navy SEAL? And so it enters my mind that I'm going to beat this Navy SEAL. I'm going to beat this Marine on the run. I remember thinking of the names of my buddies I was going to be bragging to, how these guys couldn't catch up to me on the run. And then I look back over my shoulder again, and it was just like the movie Terminator 2. Uh, there's a scene, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the bad guy called the T-1000, where this T-1000, the machine, can, like, morph into these knife hands and, like, chase down a moving vehicle. Well, suddenly, you know, that's the Navy SEAL, Scott Helvinson, like a T-1000 coming down this trail. And there's nothing I can do. He's closing the distance. He catches right up to where I am. I mean, I'm running so fast. Some listeners might know this feeling where you don't even have time to spit at the wrong moment because it could throw off your breathing rhythm, right? But he just blazes. He catches right up to me, gets past me on this trail, and then I never saw what was coming next. He just stops and turns around on a dime, and I'm coming into him full speed as I'm greeted by his fist going right into my stomach, just impaled. I am clotheslined, feet coming off the ground. I remember the feeling of the wind being knocked out of me before my back hit the ground. And then this poof of dirt just up all around me from that trail. And then put yourself in my shoes for a moment here. Remember, the only background knowledge I had at the time was some guy my dad met on the Internet. Now I'm in the wetlands. It's all coming together like child predator, I'm thinking. He's on top of me, just ragdolling me in the ground. I remember the sounds of my, the threads of my shirt ripping, his spits flying out of his mouth because he's screaming in my face, just going ballistic. And then I heard these words come out of his mouth. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. And that's when it hit me, like, whoa, this is it. This is for real. I knew that if I quit right now, I'll forever be a quitter. The way I respond in this moment is going to affect the trajectory of the rest of my life. And so I just reaffirmed that attitude. I am dying before I quit. And so he gets up off me and says it again. Three paces, he turns and just begins to run. And so I'm going after this guy. And this goes on for a handful of miles down this trail. And I'll just tell you what, looking back in hindsight, after having gone through SEAL training, which is arguably the most difficult military training there is in the world, hands down, looking back, I never went through a more difficult singular workout, or I should say beatdown session, than this encounter with Scott. But we, we finally get to this point where he he stops. 
he circles up, and I'm just thinking, oh, it's great, you know, the run's over. And he's kind of pacing back and forth. He's eyeballing me. He's got these piercing eyes. And I'm kind of catching that. This guy, he almost looks like he wants to rip me apart right now. He looks like one of these UFC cage fighters just ready to get it on. And so I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, I don't want to set this guy off. So I remember kind of looking off to the side and thinking, okay, Chad, don't set this guy off. Just, you know, no direct eye contact. Just use your peripherals, you know. And I'm kind of looking off, and he breaks his awkward tension. He says, hey, if we would have gone another mile or two, would you have stayed with me? And that's why I told him, I said, Scott, I'll die before I quit. And he just loosens up. He goes, great, well, you want to meet up again for another workout tomorrow? And I'm thinking in my mind, like, are we going to discuss whatever that was on the trail, a flashback or whatever? Like, But I just find myself agreeing, like, okay, I'll meet up again for another workout. So, All right, great, set. So I'm going back home. And you know, I'm kind of feeling a little humiliated here at first. I mean, I just got the tar beat out of me by this Navy SEAL, but what am I going to do? He's a Navy SEAL. I'm just like this, you know, college dropout punk kid. And as I'm going home, everything kind of shifts a little bit. I begin to realize that, you know what? I made it through a Navy SEAL workout. And I can do this again tomorrow. I'll do it again the next day, the next day after that. So I kind of go from this attitude of, of feeling kind of down, dragging my feet to I'm excited. I'm clicking my heels. And as I'm reaching for that front door as I get home, of course, you know, my dad can't wait to find out how his little arrangement went. And so I'm reaching for that door. He's pulling it open. He's got this big smile on his face. How did it go, son? And I'm letting him know, Dad, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And I just see this look of, this draining look on his face like, what? And I didn't know what that was about. And I go walk past him and uh, come to find out later, you know, that he had kind of arranged this whole big setup. So he's getting on the phone with Scott. And he goes, hey, uh, what's going on? I, I thought you were going to crush him. He came home. He wanted to be a SEAL more now than ever. And apparently that's where Scott told him, look, I know. And I gave it a go, but I think your son might have what it takes to make it. And if you don't mind, I'd like to start meeting up with him. Uh, so from that day forward, I began to meet up with this Navy SEAL, Scott Helvinston, virtually every single day. And and thankfully, uh-huh. it was no longer a beatdown. It became more of a, a building up. And I moved on from just being Bubba. Uh, to eventually I became junior. Uh, he really took me under his wing. He was like a, a second father to me. And uh, I just idolized everything about this guy. He's everything that I want to be. Uh, he's not just a, a Navy SEAL. He's an extraordinary Navy SEAL. Guy holds all kinds of records, and, and we'll get into those in a little bit after the break. Well, fantastic uh, uh, opener here. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest tonight is Mr. Chad Williams. His website, Navy SEAL. ChadWilliams.com. That's Navy Seal. ChadWilliams.com. Uh, just a, uh, about a month ago, David Thomas joined us. He was the author of Seal of God. Uh, the book is about Mr. Chad Williams. And um, folks, you can go to NavySealChadWilliams.com and uh, check out under books the Seal of God. We'll be right back after this. We're going to uh, continue to talk about Chad and his uh, experience in Navy SEAL training as well as his deployments and what uh, led him to where he is today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. so blessed to have with us Chad Williams, a Navy SEAL, Chad Williams, uh, sharing his testimony and sharing some really important information, a lesson for all of us. 
You talk about information and inspiration tied together, joined at the hip. That is what we're engaging in, and that's what we're being treated to today, right now. Um, my goodness, and, and it's only going to get better. Before we get back to our guest, I, I want to uh, bring your attention. You've got three days, folks. Hey, this is a clarion call. What happens in three days? Do you know what happens in three days? Well, you've got three days to order from Greenovative. You know the GMAG uh, battery charger, right? The GMAG charger, the affordable, lightweight, durable, EMP-proof, environmentally friendly, unbelievable. I can't believe this thing charges, actually charges batteries. That device, the GMAG battery charger with magnesium power pucks, you know that thing from Greenovative, the thing that I, the device that I think everyone needs to have in their, in their bug out bag or in their pantry, if you will. Folks, go to greenovative.com, greenovative.com or go to hagmanreport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative because between now and Thursday, Thursday is a cutoff day for delivery by Christmas. 15% off your entire purchase and, well, Thursday. You got to order it by Thursday for guaranteed Christmas delivery. These are flying off the shelves, folks. When planning for a disaster, a must-have is a good supply of batteries. Throwaway batteries, you know, the kind you buy at Walmart or whatever, they're going to go dead either by sitting on the shelf or during use. And a dead battery is good to no one. Greenovative has the solution with a little salt, a little water, and this device. You can have an endless supply of recharged batteries just by replacing the magnesium power pucks. It's affordable. It's a fantastic device. It's one of those things I wish I would have thought of that. But I slept through uh, science class, apparently, that uh, class in, in uh, school. Green Innovative, what a great product, the GMAG charge, uh, battery charger. Again, it's affordable, it's lightweight, and it... It, 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 it's, you don't need sun, you don't need wind, it's, you don't have to hand crank anything, you don't need to feed a little chipmunk or a, you know, a rodent that goes on a wheel. All you need is an ordinary table salt and a little water, uh, shake for a few seconds and the unit instantly makes electricity. You can use this to power up your cell phones, uh, rechargeable batteries. It, uh, runs, it, it's just, it, it's got no moving parts and it's able to provide enough power to charge about 130 batteries per pair of power pucks, which are replaceable. So between now and Thursday, get them by Thursday. So as soon as this show's over, go to greenovative.com or hagmanreport.com, click on the link to Greenovative and enjoy your 15% discount and Christmas guaranteed delivery. And by the way, this has got a, uh, no hassle warranty on it, this device to, uh, since its inception, no one has taken advantage of that warranty. That tells you what a quality product it is. Greenovative.com, greenovative.com. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are speaking with Navy SEAL Chad Williams. His website is NavySealChadWilliams.com. Uh, before the break, Chad, you were telling us a story about uh, the Navy SEAL workout, the toughest workout you went through when... Um, coming to know that you wanted to do this and be a part of uh, the Navy SEALs and join the Navy SEALs. And your dad uh, had, had set up a workout for you. It ended up being a, a very grueling workout, but that gave you the determination uh, to understand and realize this is what you're going to do. And you said that you'd rather die than quit. So um, you want to pick up where you left off? Sure. And, and so just to fill folks in that maybe weren't uh, there for the first segment, that workout was with a, a former U.S. Navy SEAL by the name of Scott Helvenston. 
and it was more of a beatdown session uh, than a workout, and it was a test. Uh, his goal really was to crush me, to beat the desire, becoming a seal out of me, uh, but by the end of it, I was still there, and I was telling him, I'll die before I quit, and I think he took a liking to me, because then he wanted to meet up from that point forward. And uh, we began to meet up virtually every single day, and uh, thankfully it was no longer a beatdown session. It became more of a building up, and I moved on from just being a, a guy he was calling Bubba uh, to eventually I became Junior. He was like a second father to me, and I idolized this guy. He, he's everything that I want to be. I mean, Scott's no ordinary Navy SEAL if there ever were such a thing. He holds all kinds of records. Uh, he's a world champion pentathlete. That's five events in comparison to the triathlon you see sometimes on television. Uh, he's the youngest man to ever make it through SEAL training. He made it through at 17 years old. Uh, that was only possible because he grew up in, in over dozens of different uh, foster homes. And so the military took him at a very early age. He finished SEAL training by 17. I'm pretty confident no one will ever beat that record. I hope no one has to go through the life circumstances that lead up to even making it possible. On top of that, he's also the fastest Navy SEAL on the SEAL training obstacle course. So to kind of put that in perspective for the listeners, every single Navy SEAL that ever was, that is, or will be, has to go through an obstacle course that we have in Coronado, San Diego. And we all are timed on it. The time is recorded. And we go through this multiple times. You have, you know, countless attempts. There is not a single Navy SEAL on the face of this planet. You think Navy SEALs are pretty bad dudes? Not a single other Navy SEAL could beat this Navy SEAL I'm talking about, Scott Helvenston, running through an obstacle course. And, you know, if that doesn't do it for you, here's one more record, a funny one. At the time, you know, Scott was the only man to ever beat the Beast on a TV program, Man vs. Beast. And what it was was these Hollywood producers would take a wild animal, a beast, and put him up against a human being in a competition of strength or speed. And on this show, every time, hands down, the Beast would win, the human would look like a fool. Well, apparently these Hollywood producers found out about Scott Helvenston, the Navy SEAL that could run this obstacle course at superhuman speed. So they decide, you know, let, let's have him on the show. And uh, for the Beast, they pick a chimpanzee. And they decide we're going to build an obstacle course and we're going to train this chimpanzee to run through at superhuman speed. So, of course, you know, Scott doesn't really stand a chance. It's a, this is a chimpanzee. I mean, this is just a whole other world. You know, chimp versus human being, obstacles. And they get Scott on the phone. They say, hey, you know, we hear you're something special. You want to go up against the beast on man versus beast. Well, Scott, being the kind of guy to never back down, he's like, yeah, I'll race the monkey. And so uh, he shows up. And they've got all the different camera angles going. I remember I'm sitting in the truck with Scott. He's telling me this story. He's got his arm up there in the wheel of the car. We're driving along. I'm idolizing this guy. He's just everything that I want to be. I'm listening to these cool stories. And he's telling me how, you know, boom, they're off. And uh, they're going over the high wall, the cargo net, the rope swing. And the irony of it all is that by the time they're getting to those monkey bars, Scott's way ahead of this monkey. And uh, he was the only man to beat the beast on this TV program, Man vs. Beast. I remember he was laughing and telling me, he goes, you know, Junior, you know, all those other programs where uh, the Beast wins the human being, the athlete on the show, they re-air them. They rerun them on TV all the time. He goes, my show, they made me rematch the Beast two times. I beat it, then they didn't want to air it. I insisted that they have to air it, and they only showed it on television one time. No reruns, just one time. And so, you know, you can imagine, I I'm just, I'm having a phenomenal time. You know, I'm getting trained up by this extraordinary Navy SEAL. He's really building me up, being the servant leader, developing me, really took me under his wing. Uh, but my time with him was coming to a close because 
I've got a date. It's set. I signed up for the military. I'm going to be shipping out. And uh, one of the ways Scott and I wrap up a workout together was we just go down to the local community pool, and uh, at the end of the day, he'd teach me how to do some underwater knot tying, some technique for holding my breath longer, just stuff for SEAL training. But eventually, we'd get around to talking about whatever we got going on in life. And, uh, you know, I remember he brought up this opportunity, he put it, to go overseas again. And he was kind of teetering on whether or not he wanted to do it. Uh, it would be, you know, just a couple months, and, you know, who knows? He says, who knows, Junior? Uh, perhaps I could make a difference. He, he was very hungry uh, for the opportunity to go and advance freedom, not only freedom as we know it here in America, but remember Scott's childhood, growing up in all these different foster homes, really one of the things that was on the front of his mind, on his heart, uh, was children, and that was very evident. I mean, as soon as he would come outside that front door of the neighborhood, all the neighborhood kids would come flocking to him because he really did take on that father role for each of them. Uh, he was like a second father to all of them, really took him under his wing. And so he's saying, you know, who knows, Junior, perhaps I can make a difference. On the front of his mind, children caught in the midst of it all in the Middle East. And so he wasn't sure if he wanted to do it. I get a phone call from him uh, days later, and he's informing me he's going to do it. He says, all right, Junior, about to go do this thing, referring to going to Iraq. And he says, I just want you to know something. I've never told anybody I've ever trained before. And uh, it actually kind of gives me chills because I'm, I'm really – I'm. I'm at my parents' house right now, and uh, I'm in my old room, and I'm just feet away from where I was when I was on the phone with Scott, and he was telling me uh, these words right here. I'll never forget. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And to hear those words from Scott, I mean, what could I say? That meant the world to me. Wow. And so it, it just gave me all the confidence in the world that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And so he's just reminding me now, you know, the timeline. He's only going to be gone a couple months. I'm about to do Navy boot camp. That's a couple months. He says, by the time he gets back, I'll be starting up SEAL training. He says, you know, we're going to see you make it through. And so we say our goodbyes. And, uh, you know, all right, Scott, you know, I'll see you when you get back. And so now Scott's gone, and I'm about to go off to Navy boot camp. I just have a handful of days left before I go. So I, I figure, you know, if I can't work out with my mentor in person, the next best thing to that is to work out with him through some of these programs that he set up for me. And so I'm waking up one day, and you know I'm turning on the television, about ready to get a, a workout going. And, and on the screen, that's where I see a picture of Scott's face. It's a picture from Smiling, sort of a typical still image, profile shot that they would use, you know, a headshot uh, of someone before they're going to go on a program. And so that was my first thought: is what's Scott doing on TV? He didn't let me know he's going to be on TV for something. And as I'm looking at this picture of him smiling. That's where I see in the lower third of the screen Scott's birth date followed by a dash, and it says March 31st, 2004. And before I can even comprehend in my mind what that meant, uh, this still image of Scott, of him smiling, changes, and now it cuts to video footage. And I'm looking at him thousands of miles away through a television screen. He's laying in the street of Fallujah, Iraq, a, a burning vehicle in the background. And what had happened was very similar to what we have going on today. Uh, with ISIS and these premeditated attacks where they take out the video cameras and, you know, they film as they're beheading people or setting that Jordanian pilot on fire and sending the footage around for the media to play. I'm watching as these insurgents had a premeditated a a attack. It was an ambush. Uh, Scott and three other Americans, their vehicles burning in the background, their bodies are in the streets, and now they've got sticks and rods. And I'm watching this video montage of these Iraqis with sticks and rods just going crazy, you know, beating and wailing away on these bodies with sticks and rods, just mutilating them, and then finding rope and wrapping around their legs, hooking them up to a vehicle, 
dragging them through the streets of Fallujah, Iraq, and ultimately getting to the Euphrates River Bridge, stringing their bodies upside down, setting their bodies on fire. And then as they burn in the background, they're looking into a camera, and they're chanting in Arabic, Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans, just over and over, Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. And I'll just tell you know the folks listening that I'll never have the words to describe what that moment was like watching oh, that. Needless yeah. to say, it radically changed me uh, in, as a human being, big time. And uh, man, I just I, I felt like I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the words. I'll never have the words. It changed me. And uh, my, my family, you know, now they're beginning to see what's going on. This was big news. I think that everyone's familiar with it. March yes. 14, 2007, the Blackwater. Uh, contractors that hung hung from the bridge, and you know, at first it's that shock, and then they're looking at me, knowing I'm just days away from going in to boot camp, and now they're terrified, thinking maybe the same thing could happen to me. And so I understand now, looking back, you know, being a father now, I, I get it. You know, after seeing that, you know, and Scott became a close friend of the family, so they knew him intimately too. So seeing him, and then looking at your son. I mean, I, me personally, I would think, man, I don't want my kid to go into this now. If that could happen to him, it could happen to my child. And so they're begging me, please don't go, don't do this. And they're saying, you know, what would Scott say to you? You know, what would he tell you? If he could come back, he would tell you not to do this. And so now I'm kind of uh, just, I'm, I'm torn. I'm really puzzled. Like, what do I do here? And there's, you know, this sense of revenge and rage that I have inside. And, and uh, I just determined that, you know, I'm still going to do this. Uh, but I want to do it for so much more now. Like one of the biggest motivating factors for me is that I want to do this in honor and memory of Scott. I I just felt like my life is so unsettled, disoriented. This is such a horrible thing that happened. I have no peace that, you know, maybe when I become a Navy SEAL, you know, maybe when I fill his shoes, when I do this in honor and memory of him, that's where I'll get that peace. That's where life, you know, really begins. Right. And so I set out to do it. You know, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so I make it through Navy boot camp and uh, finally get my shot at SEAL training. It's called BUDS. It stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. Like I, I said earlier, arguably by far the most difficult military training there is in the world, hands down. To kind of give folks an idea uh, of just how tough it is, I'll share with them the most difficult part of training. is called Hell Week. And Hell Week in a nutshell goes like this. It's five and a half days long, and you get four hours of sleep. That's not four hours of sleep per night. That's a grand total of sleep, four hours, for the next five and a half days. From the moment that Hell Week begins, these instructors are waking you up with, you know, machine guns going off, grenade simulators, you got all these big noises, your ears are ringing, you know, there's these, you know, flashes of light everywhere. And this is sort of the exciting part because you have this adrenaline rush going on, almost like you feel no pain. There's nothing that they could do to you to make you quit at that moment. Virtually nobody quits at that moment. This is sort of an exciting hoorah, like beginning of it. Uh, it's called breakout. And so after breakout's over, though, and they're hitting you with these hoses. I went through in February where, you know, that air temperature and the water temperature is the coldest. The air is so cold it bites, and then you get hit with these hoses, and you begin to go through those shivers. Uh, but now the worst part is about to happen. We're about to leave all the lights, all the flashing, and, you know, anybody that might be watching, it's kind of a spectacle. Uh, now we're going to go out into that cold, dark ocean and perform what's called surf torture. And surf torture is kind of like it sounds. It's it's torture in the surf zone. Uh, that water is so cold in February, it takes your breath away. And you do not get to wear a wetsuit. You link up with your, your buddies. You link arms. You go walking out into that water. 
And then the instructors love to get inside your heads. They play these head games, and they always win these head games. They'll say something like, you know, we're not letting you guys out of the water. We're going to keep cycling you through until they just come up with the number. Three of you give up and quit. And these are some very tough men on your left and on your right. They've all vowed the same thing that you'll vow, I'll die before I quit. And there's no external indication that these guys don't really mean it. And so now this is really a test. You know, who really wants it more? And so that water so cold, you begin to, they call it jackhammering. You look like you're hanging on to a jackhammer. And I remember during those surf tortures, that really was where I had to dig the deepest. And one of the things that really motivated me was Scott. I think about Scott. I think about my family. I think about uh, never calling them and telling them I couldn't make it. The call was going to be five and a half days from now, hey, I made it. And so that was definitely some of the toughest times during Hell Week, these surf tortures. Uh, the instructors always got the number that they were going for. And uh, I lost track of how many times we played this game of surf torture. It's not something you do once or twice or just a few times. Uh, you're continually doing it throughout these five and a half days. And the instructors always won those competitions. And uh, it would just get tougher and tougher. I mean, think about it. You're dealing with guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth round of a of a surf torture that didn't quit in the previous rounds when other people quit. And so the cream is really, you know, rising to the top here. If you're not in the water performing surf torture, you run over 200 miles during these five and a half days. And that's not just running around with your own body weight. Uh, that's running around with the weight of a boat wherever you go. And most of the time, you're carrying that boat on top of your head with your boat crew. And it kind of gives you an idea of how great is the pressure of that boat on your on your head. It rubs through the hair and through the skin in the top of your head. Everyone has a round, circular, bald, sore spot. And uh, in, a, in a class prior to mine, there's a guy who broke his neck underneath one of these boats. There's some serious pressure on top of your head. And, uh, you know, you run two and a half, two, over 200 miles with this boat, or you got a telephone log wherever you go. And then uh, just imagine, during these five and a half days, uh, yeah, people don't think about this, but you're wet the entire time, saltwater wet. And you've probably been in a pool or a jacuzzi for a few hours, and you look down at your hands, and they begin to look a little pruney, and you're like, time to get out, my... Fingers are getting a little soggy. Imagine what five and a half days of salt water does to your skin mixed in with beach sand, rubbing and grinding in all the unfriendly places. I'll just say every square inch of your body, you feel the nerves exposed. And then on top of all this physical exertion and sleep deprivation, you know, it leads into kind of a funny one to look back on it now, hallucination. I remember the last night of Hell Week, you know, you've been physically exerted, you know, at this point. I mean, you're 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 at your wit's end and now you've been kept awake for so long, you you enter into hallucination. And uh, I grew up watching Ninja Turtles. And we're paddling around in the water and the strangest things they always seem to happen out there in the water for everybody. I'm paddling along and I'm looking down in the water and uh grew up watching Ninja Turtles. I see Donatello coming up out of the water and looking at me. And I mean this is so real, I know it's wrong that I'm trying to whack him with my paddle. But, of course, I'm not getting them. You know, and then another Ninja Turtle, like Leonardo, Raphael, you know, popping up out of the water. And I'm, like, whacking them with my paddle. And we're in the middle of a boat race right now. So I remember one of the guys chiming in and saying, Williams, you know, what are you doing? Because I should be paddling right now, and I'm whacking the water. And I, I don't know what to tell him. I just confess what I see. I'm like, dude, turtles in a half shell. Like, I see Ninja Turtles. And I thought the guy was going to be like, you know, you knucklehead. But he goes, Where? And he starts looking for him in the water. You know, of course, you know, we're not going to see the same thing, but you know, that's one of those things. Looking back on it, it's it's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, when you're going through it, it really is. It's torture on the mind. So what I just share with everybody is a, a little five-and-a-half-day snapshot of about a two-year-long pipeline to make it through SEAL training. So I, I think I can kind of summarize, 
you know, how difficult is SEAL training? You've heard that term, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, out of a class of 173 guys that I started with, and we're all vowing the same thing that, you know, we'll die before we quit. Out of those 173 guys, by graduation day, we only had 13 of that original class number still standing there. And uh, that graduation day, I mean, this is the moment. Uh, this is that time where, you know, in that first segment, I talk about, man, if I could just become a Navy SEAL, I'm sitting there in that school parking lot and thinking, if I could become a SEAL, I'll be set for life. And then on top of that, doing this, you know, in honor and memory of Scott, I've got my family members, my friends there. I remember where I was walking out on the grinder, exactly where I was, was I just kind of stopped for a moment and looked up and thought, Scott, we did this. I had his name written on the inside of my hat as this constant reminder of motivation to make it through. And uh, that moment where I'm getting the trident, the insignia pinned in my chest, not only was this one of the, the happiest, proudest, most fulfilling moments of my life, where everything is just expected to begin from this point forward. Uh, but really strangely, within the same 24-hour period, I went from the highest high to what felt like one of the lowest lows. And things just seemed to continue to go downhill from there. I felt like I was just circling a drain. And I could not comprehend why at the time. Years later, I heard these words spoken by a Christian philosopher named Ravi Zacharias. And I'm on the radio listening on the radio as he says these words and I thought man those words right there they hit the nail on the head that is exactly what I experienced graduation day finally I have words and this is what he says he says one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate and in the end it lets him down one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate in the end it lets him down what he's referring to right there is something that I think everyone listening is familiar with, at least to some degree. Let me break it down for you. It's the human condition. It's that whole idea that the grass is always greener on the other side. I mean, how many of us have been there where, you know, we're not real happy, we're not real content with where we're at, but, you know, that's okay because we got plans. We got goals. And once I get to that achievement over there, I accept I'm not satisfied here, but I'll have that fulfillment when I get to that point. You know, once I get that trophy, once I get that education, once I get that position at work, that salary, once I get that house, once I get that relationship. And so, no, 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 we're not happy where we're at right now, but we've got plans. The grass is green on the other side over there. And so what happens is you develop a hunger for that goal, for that achievement. And that hunger leads to some good things. It leads to the drive, the discipline that ultimately gets you there. I mean, have you ever achieved that success? Have you ever tasted it? You know, you eat it up and you are satisfied just like you thought you would be. But what happens? The satisfaction doesn't last, does it? So what do you do? Well, you don't hit the panic switch. You just kind of step back for a moment. You introspect a little like, okay, what's going on here? And uh, you come to the realization. A light bulb goes on. Aha. The reason, it didn't me, the reason it didn't give me lasting satisfaction because I didn't set my sights high enough. If I really wanted to last, to deliver that kind of lasting fulfillment for me, I need to raise the bar. I need to go up to the next rung of the ladder, trek up the mountain a little bit higher. And so what do you do? You raise that bar, you're going to the next totem on the totem pole, and uh, you finally get there. You're thirsting after it, you get there, you drink it up, you're satisfied just like you thought you would be, and then what happens? You get hungry, you get thirsty, all over again. And it, it's just a vicious cycle. Seemingly, there is no end, but that's the catch. Listen, there is an end point. And this is the point of that quote, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate, and in the end it lets him down. See, the big question is this. What happens 
when you finally arrive at a place where you no longer can step back like all those other times and just introspect and think, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll just raise the bar. I'll just go to the next level. You're no longer in a place like that because you're at the last rung of the ladder. There is no next. You're at the peak of the mountain. You can't set your sights to something else. In fact, a billionaire was asked this question in Forbes magazine. He was asked, you know, sir, if you could go back in time and give yourself a word of advice, what would it be? And this guy's response, he says, you know what I'd do? I'd go back to myself and say, hey, self, when you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing up there. And so these are not the kinds of things that, you know, we as Americans like to hear. It's like, wow, what a downer, you know. But look, this is a reality. I mean, look at the lives of the movie stars, the professional athletes, these, you know, people that seemingly have everything, everything that the world has to offer. And what do we see them doing with their lives? We're scratching our heads. Why are they doing drugs? Why are they wrecking their lives with alcohol? Why are they committing suicide? Well, I would suggest because they have experienced everything that the world has to offer. And I'd say that ignorance sometimes is bliss. Let me put it this way. I felt like I was better off not being a Navy SEAL and looking forward to becoming a Navy SEAL. Because at least then I had something to invest into. You know, the delusion that something will, you know, deliver for me the ultimate. It was something that drove me. But now that I realize that I have arrived, and I'm still just the same person, but no, but worse, I have nothing next. That's where you get those words, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience. When he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate, in the end, it lets him down. You know, where, where, where do I go from here? The courtship. That, I think in the next segment. It, 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 Chad, I mean, it, it's sometimes the courtship is, well, often more exciting than the than the marriage, so to speak. And I understand that. And during this segment, uh, you had me laughing and uh, tearing up at the same, well, at different times. And and wow, what a what a folks are you are you are you taking this in? I mean, this is fantastic. Um, wow, we're talking with Chad Williams. His website is Navy Seal ChadWilliams.com, and the book by David Thomas and Chad Williams, Seal of God, is available there. We'll be right back with our third and final hour after these messages. Stay with us. I cried, and Chad Williams had me tearing up and uh, laughing. Inform, information and inspiration. You talk about a hero, a man's man, and and what a story. What what a testimony as well. I think back to when I first saw the images of Scott Halverson, and and to think that Chad Williams. What what he faced in, during Hell Week and in the shadows, in the wake of that news, and oh my goodness! Uh, but but there are lessons to be learned. Now in the uh, last segment of this, uh, in this we will be taking your phone calls uh, for Chad Williams. We're going to try to get yeah. through as many as possible. And at, at nine fifteen, uh, we're going to open the phone lines and we'll take calls in the last segment. Yes. Um, question and answers with Chad Williams, and the number is eight four four. 
That's 844-769-2944. And in about 15 minutes, folks can start lining up on the phone. Indeed. And I, before we get back to chat, folks, go to tradingpostinthewoods.com, tradingpostinthewoods.com. This is a virtual store like your grandparents used to shop at. They've got anything and everything in the, uh, to prepare for a disaster. They specialize in comprehensive natural survival remedy kits, preparedness and homesteading supplies, skills training, whether it's medical, homeopathy, herbal, uh, preparedness skills or homesteading skills tradingpostinthewoods.com that's tradingpostinthewoods.com you're going to want to bookmark that site you can spend hours literally hours on that site they're they're here to help all of us learn all of the aspects of preparedness and to equip all of us with the supplies and skills that are needed before an emergency emergency happens tradingpostinthewoods.com I've got to say that uh, uh, Eve Gonzalez is the person I mean behind Trading Post in the Woods and so knowledgeable they've collectively responded to 18 major disasters over and, and they have 27 years of combined experience the owners have learned firsthand about destruction chaos and lack of preparedness don't be caught in that realm of lack of preparedness go to tradingpostinthewoods.com tradingpostinthewoods.com Chad Williams is our guest he uh, joined us in the beginning of last hour uh, and started telling just a fantastic uh, t- giving us fantastic testimony uh, which is very inspiring we're going we're gonna to hear um, the rest of that testimony in this segment followed by your calls uh, for a question and answer in the final segment Chad I'm going to turn it over to you and let you pick up right where you left off alright well thank you and just want to give a shout out to everybody that's listening and and uh, and watching also on YouTube live. I, I just took a, a glance in there and said hello to some of the people on the chat. And uh, if you are a follower of Christ, I would suggest that this would be a good time maybe to share uh, the information about this podcast live uh, on on Facebook or your social media uh, because I'm going to get into you know what certainly not just I believe I know is really the most important part uh, the gospel message, uh, but. I just kind of fill in some of the viewers that maybe haven't been with us up to this point. Uh, you know, my name is Chad Williams, former U.S. Navy SEAL. And, uh, you know, at a young age, about 18, 19 years old, I, I got this idea that I wanted to be a SEAL in my head. And I got to be trained by a very extraordinary Navy SEAL by the name of Scott Helvenston. And you know, it was my dream to become this SEAL. And, and Scott, tragically, uh, he died overseas just before I went into the military. He's one of these four uh, contractors that was in Fallujah, Iraq, March 31st. Uh, 2004. Uh, he was killed and dragged through the streets and hung upside down from the Euphrates River Bridge. And I really determined in my mind that I still wanted to be a SEAL, do this in honor of memory. Scott, I thought, you know, this is just, this is what will bring me some peace in life. And so I make it through SEAL training, 173 guys in my class by graduation day, only 13 of that original class number still standing there. I'm graduating. I've got the trident, the, the thing, the SEAL insignia says I've become a SEAL pinned in my chest. Not only was this one of the happiest, proudest moments of my life, uh, but really within that same 24-hour period, just unexpectedly, it was one of the most deflating times. And I couldn't comprehend why at the time. Uh, but years later, I would hear these words spoken by a Christian philosopher, Ravi Zacharias. He says, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. And in the end, it lets him down. What he's referring to there is something that everyone is familiar with, at least to some degree. It's the human condition. The grass is always greener on the other side. We always have another side to look to, but we're, here's the big question. What happens when you finally arrive at a place 
where you find yourself still hungry, still thirsty for more, but you don't have another side to look to. You're at the peak of the mountain. You can't raise the bar. You can't go to the next because you're at the last rung of the ladder. You know, this is where I found myself after making it through SEAL training. And so that's where we get these words. One of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience and he's achieved that he thought would deliver the ultimate. In the end, it lets him down. You know, where do I go from here? I'm a SEAL now. I can't comprehend there being a next. And if I'm not being imagined enough, maybe there is a next. I just know that if this doesn't do it, like nothing will, nothing's going to give me that lasting fulfillment. And so I kind of just went into this downward spiral. I get put on a SEAL team. You know, and this, this, this experience isn't something foreign or unique just to me. I've talked with other SEALs who experience the same thing, but we don't wear our emotions on our sleeve. We don't go around, you know, just telling people about it, right? And so you just kind of bury this. And so I get put on a SEAL team. We're preparing, getting ready to go deploy. And, you know, as we get time off and, and the SEAL teams, just like a lot of other places, you know, it's work hard, play hard. And uh, I took the play hard aspect maybe a little bit too far. You know, I felt like I just didn't feel anymore. My conscience, it was just numbed. I felt calloused. And what gave me some feeling? Well, what gave me some feeling? What stimulated me was to go out and drink and cut loose and just take it really to a level that was too far, to the point of blocking out. And I just got into a lot of foolish things. I mean, just dumb brawls in the streets and, you know, the fighting and, you know, blacking out, hearing about the, the shameful things that you did the next day. You know, you don't even remember. People are telling you what you did. And you're trying to laugh about it and act like it's something to, you know, brag about as if it's like a medal uh, to, to wear. Uh, but really, it's just robbery. Uh, I was just destroying my own life. And everything came to a head one night where I woke up needing 26 stitches on my knuckles, come to find out that... I was in my hometown, drank to the point of blacking out, spread blood all over the walls of my, my, my parents' house, and I didn't remember a thing about it. And uh, they're telling me, you know, son, we love you, but you are not welcome at our home anymore. We, we're afraid of you. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough love. And I, I don't blame them at all looking back on it. They should have done that a long time ago. They put up with a lot, but this was finally, uh, this was just, this was the last straw that broke the camel's back. And I wish I could tell you at the time I felt remorse, but like I said, I was, my conscience was just so numb so callous. I didn't care. I just said, forget you guys. And all I was thinking about was a keg of beer that I stole with my pals that I was stashing in my dad's garage I wanted to get to. And so I could tell he's pretty serious about not letting me back in the door when I showed up again when I wanted to get to that keg of beer. So I decided, all right, I'll play my cards. I'll deal with this diplomatically. For the longest time, they've been wanting me to go to church. That was something I gave up when I was younger. You know, I I still believe in God. I'm not an, an atheist. I was always assure them, like, look, it's it's very intuitive. Like, I realize there's a creator. And me and Jesus, like, that's a powerful dude. You know, hey, I'm cool with Jesus. But I didn't really know what it was to know anything about, you know, what Jesus of Nazareth did on this earth. What was the whole purpose of him going to the cross? I didn't comprehend that. And so I decided, all right, I'll go to church with you guys. I knew that that would cool their jets. It would satisfy them. It would make them happy. And so we go. And they're just astonished. You will? Yeah, let's go. Poor them. You know, my intention was at the end of the night, when uh, they go to sleep, I'm going to fall off their radar. I'm going to go grab that cake of beer. Off I go with my pals. That's when the night really begins. So we go. And there's a man speaking there that night by the name of Greg Laurie. And he opens up to a passage about a story uh, of a man by the name of Naaman. He's not just a man. He's a commander. He's a soldier. And I'm thinking, well, great. At least if I'm going to show up to church, I get to hear a story about a soldier. Here I am, an active duty Navy SEAL. So I'm listening. He describes Naaman, this mighty man of value. He's got this entourage of men that highly respect him because this is a guy who has had some success in battle. It says even the king enjoys Naaman's company. Naaman, this mighty man of valor, and then he just halts on butt. What? Naaman had leprosy. And so now picture 
picture this. Circle back around. Here's Naaman, if you will. So much for all that success. So much for that armor that he would wear as a commander. This mighty man of valor, when in reality, underneath it all, what's really going on underneath that clothing, that armor, he's deteriorating. He's falling apart. This guy's a dead man walking. And quickly, I related with that. You know, here I am, this active duty Navy SEAL. The armor I wear on the outside, is this if I really got it going on? My pal's telling me, Chad, you got to be on top of the world, bro. You did it. You were a SEAL. I don't want to let them down. I'd puff up my chest and say, yeah, rock star, living a dream. When in reality, the truth was I was more miserable at that stage of my life than I'd ever been. And so quickly, I find myself relating with this name. And I'm a certain man on the outside when in reality, there are other things going on underneath it all. And I imagine a lot of people listening right now feel the same way. Certain person on the outside, when in reality, who are you really? Who are you in front of your friends, your coworkers, your family members? Naaman had his leprosy, and you've got something going on as well that is destroying you. And so I'm listening. And and there's nothing Naaman can do to get rid of this leprosy. It is the impossible during his time, but he hears about this man uh, of God, Elisha, who will heal him of his leprosy. This has never been done. And so he's going to the king. He's saying, hey, king, is it cool if I go? He says, absolutely, I'll give you a letter. You know, you go. He's making a 150-mile trip. This is not a short journey. He's bringing his entourage with him. He's got the equivalent of millions upon millions of dollars in gold, silver, apparel. What is he prepared to do? He's prepared to pay this guy off, to give him his riches. Like, just, I'll give you my riches. Just give me my life again. And so they're there at the door. They're knocking on that door. And no doubt about it, Naaman's expecting this guy to come out. What happens? He doesn't come out. He sends a servant to the door. And this servant relays the message. He says, look, if you go dip yourself in the Jordan River over there seven times, when you come up, then your your flesh will be restored to you. Well, guess what Naaman's response was to this? It says Naaman became furious. I mean, can you imagine? He just came all this way with all of his men. Uh, Does this guy have any idea who Naaman is? He won't even give him the courtesy of a face-to-face conversation. And, and he disrespects him like this in front of all these guys, then tells him to do something as far as he's concerned, foolish, just go dip in some water. Like, really, pal, think I haven't tried to wash this stuff off yet? And so probably before Naaman does something foolish, like just go charge to the door and take the guy's head off, it's just that he turned and he began to go away in a rage. And he was reasoning out loud. He was saying out loud exactly what he expected to happen. He says, I, I surely, I thought this man was going to come out of his place and wave his hand over this place and, and call on the name of the Lord his God. Naaman was expecting a big show to be put on for him. Roll out the red carpet. Naaman's here. You know, I expect him to come out and just strike this leprosy away. And then he goes back to the whole water thing. Like, you know, aren't the waters where I'm from in, you know, Damascus far better than the muddy waters over there? And so, folks, if you haven't caught it yet, is Naaman's real obstacle here? It's himself. He's got way too much pride. He's expecting this red carpet to be rolled out, big show put on for him. He's got way too much ego. And now it's becoming an obstacle. It's getting in between him and, and this healing. And so Naaman, he's leaving. And, and think Naaman was surrounded by guys that care about him. They're looking out for him. And they're reasoning with him. They're saying, look, Naaman, come on. You know if that prophet came out, waved his hand over this place, and gave you some big great thing to do, you would have done it. I mean, how much more? It tells you to go simple thing. Just go wash and be clean. But Naaman wasn't going to do it because as far as he was concerned, it was such a simple thing. To him, it seemed like a foolish thing. This can't help me. You know, what's interesting is, is that that's what they say about the preaching of the cross in the Old Testament, um, in the New Testament. It says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those 
who are perishing. Well, no doubt about it, Naaman is in a statement, isn't he? But something these guys say begins to break through. And don't miss this, Naaman is about to do the most difficult thing. He is about to remove that pride, that ego. Could you imagine how tough this might have been? Do you think Naaman was uh, exposed and vulnerable and transparent in front of all these guys? Do you think that they saw really just how pathetic he was underneath that armor? I'm sure that he probably tended to try and uh, cover it up, to hide it, like a lot of us, right? But he's about to do this most difficult thing. He's about to be transparent. As that armor, that, that clothing's coming off to make his way out into that water, that's the moment where what really needs to go pride the even in his life. And he's walking out in an act of faith and trust, probably getting it now, that it's not about this water. It's about me performing this act of faith and trust in the God of Israel, that he's going to be the one to heal me of this leprosy, not this water that takes it away. He dips himself seven times. When he comes up that seventh time, he had brand new skin, like that of a baby. You know, that's the leprosy. It's just wiped away, blotted out, gone. Well, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. I've got big plans of going off and drinking this night, and now I'm, I'm finding myself really relating with this name, and I'm right there with him to this point of him getting healed, and I just kind of felt like, oh, this is where everything just drops off. But it doesn't. You see, God provided a way out for our situation as well, not just for Naaman. But we got to understand what the problem is. Remember, going back, Naaman, this man of valor, he's got that armor. He's this big, tough guy on the outside, when in reality, underneath it all, what was the truth? He had leprosy. It was destroying him. It leads to death. When a similar way, we've got something going on underneath it all. And what is it? We have a disease called sin, and it is destroying us. It says the wages of sin is death. What is that referring to? That's referring to hell. In other words, God is so holy, he is so pure, that think about it. What does light do to darkness? It annihilates, it just destroys it, it wipes it out. In a similar way, God is holy, and we are impure, we are dark, we are blemished, we have not lived up to his standard, we have disappointed him. We have lied, stolen, used his name in vain. We use his name like a cuss word. We don't use Buddha's name that way. Nobody stubs their toe and says, oh, Gandhi, but they use Jesus' name this way. And so we have violated God's law. And for those that violate God's law, there's very serious consequences that come with it. And it, sin just cannot occupy the same presence, the same space as God. Uh, but he decided he's going to make a way out. He's going to provide a way out for you and I. But we got to watch out for the consequences of sin. we got to understand, Jesus of Nazareth, he taught more on the topic of hell than he taught on the topic of heaven. Why? Because it's very serious. He doesn't want anybody going there. So you have to understand the disease before you can understand and appreciate the cure. The cure. God sent his son, Jesus of Nazareth, to come into this world to live a holy, perfect, sinless life. He came down on a rescue mission. This was a hostage rescue mission. He lives a holy, perfect, sinless life, the life that you and I have not and could not ever live. This leprosy in the Old Testament, these spots, the blemishes, being stronger with it, right? It's just, it's nasty stuff. Think about it. That's a picture of what? A picture of sin in our life. We are blemished. We are struck through. We're covered in it. And just as Naaman couldn't do anything to wipe away his own leprosy, right? He can't get it off. There's nothing that you and I can do to wipe away our own sin. But God, God has provided a way out just as he did for Naaman. It works just like this. Jesus lives his holy, perfect, sinless life, and then he goes to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Answer in your head. A lot of people will tell me on the street, he went up there to be a good example, uh, to be a, a martyr of some sort. No. 
I think the scriptures declare pretty crystal clear why Jesus came into this world. We're around Christmas time right now, and this is the time really where we're celebrating the birth of Christ. And what was told? That he would save his people from their sin. What takes place at the cross is Jesus of Nazareth trades skin with you and I. He takes our leprosy, as it were, our blemishes, and he takes them upon himself so that we could be lavished with God's grace and his mercy. Not only does he pay our fine of our sin in full at the cross, but he also rises again from the dead three days later. What does that signify? It shows that he has power not only over sin, he has power over death. And his big declaration is, look, not even the grave can hold this guy. And then he looks at you and I in the scriptures and says, look, because I live, you also shall live. In other words, this same power that rose Jesus again from the dead, it's available to you. Just as name was able to be cleaned of his leprosy, you could be cleaned, washed, completely forgiven of your sin. That's what it says in the New Testament. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that times refreshing may come. Remember for naming, where did it all begin? It all began with what? For him, the big change all began with going to his own funeral, as it were. He had to do a 180. He had to have a change of mind. He had to go from pride to humility, right? In a very similar way, look it. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must do what? It starts with deny self. In other words, you take this sinful life that you've lived, and I don't need to tell you, your conscience bears witness to the fact that you have wronged God, the Creator. This isn't just a chemical reaction that's firing off inside your body. You have a conscience. Con means with science knowledge. You have knowledge, like a moral compass. It points you to the fact you have wronged the creator but he's provided this way out and so what we're called to do is repent in the bible you hear that term repent on the street you don't hear that word used too often what does it mean to repent it means not just sorry i got caught judas was sorry he got caught but he wasn't sorrowful enough to where he would turn away from what he did it's so sorry i want to change it's so sorry i'm disgusted i'm repulsed i want to disassociate with this old person if i could just peel this skin off and be given a new life that's what I want and essentially that's what takes place at the cross if you repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus to do what to do precisely what he says he will do what does he say he'll do he'll do the heavy lifting he'll pay for your sin in full you trust me to do that part your part repent and trust in him the moment you do that you don't have my word on it you have God's word on it he will remember your sin no more I heard the other day, I think this comes from Corey Tim Boom, I love this quote where he talks about, your sins will be cast into the sea of forgetfulness, and there's a sign posted that says, no fishing. You can't be going back for that, right? So you <laughs> repent, you place your faith and trust in him, and you have God's word on it, not mine. He remembers that sin no more. Just like that leprosy wiped away, blotted out, your sins are forgiven. But look, it's not just now I have citizenship in heaven, now I'm forgiven of my sin. He's Savior and Lord. And what does that mean? That means it's not, thank you, Jesus, see you when I get to heaven. It's you are my Lord, you my allegiance, my loyalty. You are my assault lead. You know, my loyalty is to you. You are my commander. I'm going to look to you to inform me how I ought to live my life. And trust me, he knows much better than we do. And so where do we get that? Well, you need to open up a Bible, go through the New Testament, read through the Gospels. That's where you're going to be informed of what Jesus was like, uh, how he lived his life. And really the goal here is this. As you begin to walk through this life, forgiven of sin, knowing that when you die, you go to heaven. But not only that, while you're here on earth, 
Now you have a life that really does carry eternal significance with it. You have an opportunity to be a soldier for Christ. The point of life is to not only know our Creator, which is possible through Jesus Christ, but to also make Him known. We have time here on earth to make Him known to other people. I heard this message March 14, 2007. I repented of my sin. I placed my faith and trust in Him. I experienced the forgiveness of my sin. I experienced what the Scriptures say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And then that gratitude. The scriptures make a point that he is forgiven of much, is much thankful. I was so thankful I couldn't wrap my mind around why anybody would ever receive this message and not want to just go run around town and start sharing it with everybody. And so for me, I hit the ground running. I mean, evangelism was a very intuitive thing. Like, you know, just like the blind man. Look, I was blind. Now I see. And I want other blind people to see. I felt like this stuff was under my nose for so long. And I'm just now breathing it in. I just felt like it's this close for everybody else as well. And so I, I really comprehended that we as soldiers of Christ have been given a duty, a task, a commission, just like Navy SEALs. You know, we're called to do what? To advance freedom against really a kingdom of darkness, evil men out there that have intentions of bringing harm and death upon other people in a similar way. The soldier of Christ, and that's what it says in Second Timothy chapter 2, we are soldiers of Christ. We've been given a duty and a task. That's the definition of a commission. Our commission came from our commander of the universe, as my buddy uh, Damon Friedman puts it. And that commission was to do what? To go advance the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. In other words, set people free. Set people free with what? With the power of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so that's really our duty and our task as believers while we're still here on earth to glorify God. Uh, to, uh, you know, really be conformed as close as we can. I want to love the things that God loves. I want to despise. I want to hate the things that, that God hates. That's just kind of part of the perfecting process here, right? And I also want to be a good sled dog for him. I want to give him a good run while I'm here on earth. I love the words that C.T. Studd, he says, one life, it will soon pass, and only what's done for Christ will last. And he also says, and when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life is burned out for thee. I want to burn out for him. I want to burn out for thee, not for me. You know, and, and I yeah. hope that's everyone else out there as well. Well, uh, what a fantastic and inspiring testimony, and, and you put that uh, in a very articulate way. And one of the things that strikes me about your testimony is the fact that uh, after you uh, accomplished becoming a SEAL, the, the bittersweet moment you described um, about reaching the, the goals that you set for yourself, and then, you know, feeling that almost despair, as you said, the grass is greener on the other side. Um, and then the things you were going through in your personal life and, and the whole reason you ended up in, in church on that day in the first place and the story that you heard that, that resonated with you. And, um, it, it's just so interesting God's to hear how the, the yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Even though I was showing a lot of loyalty to him, I was one of those guys that if I found myself in a tough place, I would call on God. God, please get me out of this. And then he'd get me out of it and be like, okay, see you next fall, you know. But mm -hmm. if I could look back on something, you know, that experience of, you know, not really feeling that um, deliverance of, you know, I'm always hungry, thirsty for more, never really satisfied and all these other things. You know, it's incredible. This is a byproduct of becoming a Christian, of becoming a follower of Christ. This isn't what it's for, but this is a byproduct. Now that, now that I'm right with God, now that I have the main thing, the main thing, you know, now I could go back to these other things that never really left me satisfied, and I can enjoy them now in a way I never enjoyed them before. Because the main thing is in its right place. I don't need to look to something else. You know, Jesus says, if you drink of my living water, you will never thirst again. You'll never thirst again in what sense? In the sense that the search is over, buddy. 
you are complete. I don't need to look to a next. And then all these other things that left me hungry and thirsty for more, now they're in their proper category. They are supplementary to life. They're secondary. And in the scriptures, you get it says this. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, before I was a seal for me, and when I was a seal for me, it was synthetic. It was decaf. It didn't deliver, right? But I have the option not to do it for me. I have the option to do it for thee. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I take the Lord Jesus, the eternal one, and I'm taking that eternal significance now, and I'm infusing it into the temporal thing, being a Navy SEAL. You know, the temporal thing that I do, so that now it echoes an eternity. It really does carry an eternal weight, an eternal significance with it. And so being a SEAL, I'm not trying to say that being a SEAL is a bad thing. Being a SEAL is a good thing, but it's a bad thing when you make it the ultimate thing. There's only one ultimate thing. And that's the Lord. But once you have that right, everything else will fall into its proper place, its proper category. Everything finds its balance. Amen. Folks, we're speaking with Chad Williams, and Chad's been gracious enough uh, to stay with us t- till the end of the show. And this next segment, we're going to take questions. If you have a question, uh, comment, or want to talk with, with Mr. Williams, give us a call now at 844-769-2944. That's 844 769 Two nine four four. Who who doesn't want to talk to a Navy SEAL? I mean, who doesn't want to talk to a Navy SEAL? Absolutely, and, and especially this gentleman who's uh, wow, integrity and character. I'm right back. Stay right where we're at. Hagman and Hagman Report, featuring uh, Chad Williams, the Navy SEAL, uh, a tremendous man, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man who just it just went through a, just a tremendous testimony. And, and folks, you can find both information and in, inspiration from this gentleman. And I'm just so proud to know him now and have him a, a part of our program. Uh, I mean... This is what it's all about. America's finest and uh, God's finest, really. I mean, um, wow, Chad Williams. And, folks, we're going to be taking your calls. Line up now. We we do have uh, callers in queue. 844-769-2944 is the number. Right. Before we get back to Mr. Williams, I, I want to mention, um, folks, go to PreciousTimber.com, PreciousTimber.com. Find out what Precious Timber is doing for people, the planet, you can uh, invest in people and the planet. Join Precious Timber in generating a social and environmental impact alongside a favorable financial return. In one instance, think of coconuts. Worldwide, worldwide demand is making coconuts, if you can believe that. Uh, one of the highest yielding cash crops, wealthy individuals, Coke, Pepsi, many other high net worth individuals have invested in coconuts as a growth investment for long-term income. If you are a qualified investor, you can take part in 
Coconuts. Direct ownership of fully managed coconut acreage now available to accredited investors and could yield as much as 15% per year. This triple bottom line opportunity generates a measurable, beneficial social and environmental impact alongside an attractive financial return that lasts up to 60 long years. You've got to think ahead. Think long term. Think of your legacy. Think of who you are leaving behind and what you're leaving behind. You can be a good steward, of course. Qualified accredited investors should go to profitsincoconuts.com or preciousTimber.com. Dial 855-888-6288 for more information. I must say that this announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer is made by prospectus only. Again, call 855-888-6288 or visit preciousTimber.com or ProfitsInCoconuts.com. We were talking with the U.S. Navy SEAL Chad Williams. His website is NavySealChadWilliams.com. And this is the last segment. And we are going to take listener calls and questions uh, for Mr. Williams at 844-769-2944. All right, Mr. Williams, we're gonna we're gonna start taking callers. We have uh, Nathan, who is uh, a young man, 13 years old, from Florida. Nathan, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report with Chad Williams. Uh, hi. Um, how has it been, just like in general, was like the tra- as in training? Was it just fun? Was it hard? Like, I just want to get to know that thing. The uh, the how how difficult was training? Uh, Navy sure. SEAL training, Nathan. Yeah, good question, yeah. Nathan. And uh, I think that you know maybe a lot of people weren't listening in on uh, or didn't have the opportunity to listen to the segment where I talked a little bit about the most difficult part of SEAL training uh, called Hell Week. And uh, I think in a nutshell, you could wrap up how difficult is SEAL training. Well, I started the class of 173 guys. And these guys are all vowing that they will die before they ever give up or quit. They want this bad. And in order for somebody to quit, they have to ring a brass bell three times in front of everybody. It is, uh, you know, it really signifies that they, they're just, they're done. I've seen guys do it, you know, just in tears. They could not go on uh, anymore. And in SEAL training, they really do. They push you far beyond what you ever thought the human body was ever capable of doing uh, with just the, the running, the swimming, pull-ups, push-ups, and sit-ups. Uh, the idea is that you get pushed harder than you have ever been pushed and hopefully ever will have to be pushed. This is supposed to be uh, sort of like uh, a monument in your life that you can look back on as you go through tough times in the future because it's a guarantee. Adversity is going to come your way in the future. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. And so when adversity does come your way, at least you've got this anchor point, this foundation, this point of reference you could go back to and say, hey, I made it through that. I made it through Hell Week. Or the guys that I'm with right now in a SEAL team, I know that they're not going to bail on me. I know that when the going gets tough, I know that each of these guys have gone through the same training I have on my left and on my right. So I got their back. They got my back. And there's nothing like that type of community. I mean, that's a real tight-knit community right there. But SEAL training, you know, it, it hits, I think, every every dimension in terms of uh, experience, right? At times, it's so fun. I mean, some of the best times of my life looking back, you know, the buds, you know, the most difficult part of SEAL training, that was like my favorite six months of being in the military. But trust me, there were times looking back on it when I was in the moment where I wanted nothing more than to be anywhere else uh, than than there. 
And so uh, you go through just a very broad spectrum of experiences. Uh, it's very tough training. It's not something that's just fun and, and you just do for fun. I don't think anybody would ever go through that mm. purely just for fun. Uh, but it's really ultimately for uh, a goal, a purpose, right? And that's to become a Navy SEAL. And what do SEALs do? You know, SEALs, we're out there to go make a difference in the world. You know, we're out there to go bring a stop to very evil people that have intentions of, of harming other people. It's very much like, you know, the same mode of operation that the enemy of our soul has, steal, kill, and destroy, that's the that's the mode of operation of a terrorist right there. SEALs are out there. We're trying to bring sabotage to their plans in a similar way. You know, soldiers of Christ, we should be trying to bring sabotage to the plans of the ultimate terrorist. That's Satan. You know, suicide bombers, they know they're going down, don't they? And what are they trying to do in the process? Take out as many people with them as they possibly can. Well, in a similar way. You know, think about it. What's the ultimate enemy of our soul? What's going on with him? He's the ultimate suicide bomber, isn't he? Because he knows he's going down, doesn't he? And what is he trying to do in the process? Take out as many people with them as he possibly can. But you and I have been given the task, the duty, uh, to bring sabotage to his plans. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. But Christianity is the story of how our rightful king has landed, you might say in disguise, and now he's calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. I love that campaign of sabotage. That's spreading the gospel message. It destroys the plans of the enemy of our soul. It brings sabotage to his plans. Nathan, uh, thank you for the call. Um, any other questions before we let you go? No, but I'd just like to say thanks. Well, thank thanks, you, young Nathan. man. Good you question. have a good evening. For calling in. All right, bye. Good night. All right, up next is Joe in Massachusetts. Thanks for holding, Joe. You're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report with Chad Williams. Hi, thank you. Good evening. <clears throat> so my question for Chad is, I'm a born-again Christian. I uh, wasn't raised in a Christian home. I have a, a story of coming to Christ and being uh, being set free from my past and becoming a new person. Uh, so my, my question is, when now that I'm a speaker, a motivational speaker kind of, and I speak at churches all around, when I don't speak at churches, I find it pretty difficult um, sharing, being really uh, fluent with my entire story of coming to Christ because most of the people in the room are believers. So I noticed that Chad is doing some motivational speaking as well. And I would like to know, how does he balance the both out? How does he uh, go in for a motivational session? And what does he do? What does he talk about? Does he go straight with the gospel as well? Or is there building connections first and then doing that? How does that work? That's where I'm stuck. Thank you. Okay, so if I if I have you right here, Joe, I think you're asking basically how do you go into these uh, places where they didn't they didn't request you to to come and speak about your faith. Uh, they they want you to speak on some other you know subjects and and they they think that you know your experience would uh, you know bring something to the table. And so how do you go about that? And uh, and how does that I guess uh, somehow comport with you know being a Christian? Is am I getting you right there? Yeah, that's right. Right on. Sure. Okay. So, you know, I, I do go and speak at, at different, you know, corporations and they invite me in for different things. You know, sometimes they say, we, you know, we want you to talk about leadership or discipline or, uh, you know, mental toughness. And so, you know, just like anybody else that has a job, maybe, you know, as a mechanic, 
You know, if you've, you've been, you know, invited, you know, I got a buddy that's got a, a mobile mechanics business, you know, and so when he goes to somebody's home to, you know, help them out, fix their car, uh, you know, they didn't invite him to come out there and, and share the gospel message with him. He's got a job. He's been hired to do that. And he's expected to deliver in some sense. And so I got to respect the fact that they didn't invite me out to share the gospel with them. And so I'm not going to, in a sense, I'm not going to just go at that, you know, like, hey, you invited me out for one thing, but I'm going to bring something else to you right now. But I do want to find a way uh, to bring the gospel into it. And so the way that, you know, I've discovered to do that, I want to bring Jesus into it somehow, is any opportunity I have to point back to, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, I'll do that. So when I talk about, you know, leadership, you know, well, I'll say something like, whether you love the guy or hate him, there's one thing you cannot deny about this man I'm going to mention in history, Jesus of Nazareth, he knew how to lead people. I mean, look, he's got a movement that we're still seeing the effects of to this day, 2,000 years later, that's kicked off. It started with what? Really just with 11 men. And so how do you get something like that going? I mean, obviously he had vision, and so he casted it to his people. He wanted them to run with it. So how? how what kind of leadership model did he have? Well, he would have what the business world recognizes as servant leadership. And so I'll jump into it that way. You know, I'll use stories of how, you know, Jesus did the total antithesis of what it is uh, to be the type of leader that rises into a position and with that position becomes comes this pride and this arrogance, right? We've all been under somebody like that, you know, where they're the boss, they tell you what you got to do, and you do it because you don't want to get fired. You don't want to, you know, lose your paycheck. You'll you'll follow the guy, you'll do what this leader wants you to do, but you do it in sort of a begrudging way. You know, people talk behind this guy's back. There's no real loyalty. Uh, this guy's a uh, uh, he's, you know, he's like smoke to the eyes, you know, like nobody likes a leader like that. He'll never get 100% out of his people, you know, but Jesus was the antithesis of this. I'll make a point. You know, what did Jesus do? Uh, well, everyone remembers that scene where he got down his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. And this blew his disciples' minds so much because what they're thinking here is like, you are our Lord. You are our leader. We should be doing this for you and you're doing it for us. And so what that ultimately did for them, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's pouring into them. He's investing in them. He's showing I care for you. He's saying, I want you to do this thing too. And what he's really doing, he blew their mind to the point where what he got out of them was something that money cannot buy. What he got out of them was loyalty. So that whenever he had something that he wanted them to run with, here's my task. Here's my vision. I'm casting it to you. The Great Commission. I want you to go into the world and preach this message to everybody, even in the face of death. These guys weren't only kind of willing to go along with it just to collect a paycheck at the end of the day. No. These guys were willing to do it to the point of bloodshed. And so servant leadership, you know, that's the type of loyalty that you'll get out of your people that money can't buy. And so I suggested them as, you know, leaders in their corporation, take that model, you know, take up that model. Whether you love the guy or hate him, you can't deny this about Jesus of Nazareth. He was the most influential, and that's what leadership is. It's influence. He was the most influential man that ever walked the face of this earth. So I think there's some things you could take away from him. My hope there is, as Greg Kokel puts it, I'm hoping that I put a rock in their shoe. I'm hoping that they go and investigate this person, Jesus of Nazareth, a little bit more. And through that, you know, they hear the gospel. Uh, I can also talk about, you know, motivation. What drives me? What motivates me today? Uh, well, you know, I could say that it really falls into three categories. And I speak on a personal basis, faith, family, and friends. And so I could tell them, I can actually communicate to a group of, you know, corporate folks. I could tell them that one of the things that motivates me, you know, is my faith. And I could tell them how important Jesus of Nazareth is to me. I can vicariously share the gospel with them through my own life. 
I could do it like that. And so that would just be a couple different tips right there. Any opportunity to talk about leadership, point to Jesus. Any opportunity to talk about motivation or discipline, you know, point to Jesus. And if they want to fault you for that at the end of the day, you know, so be it. You, you did the best you could to live peaceably, you know, among men. And, uh, you know, you, you're woe to you if everybody, you know, speaks well of you, right? You're going to have some people that are, you know, dissenters along the way. Uh, Jesus says the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, doesn't come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. And so that's kind of how it is. When you are a light and when you represent Christ, you know, either people are going to have a heart that melt for the things that you represent. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your God. They see your works and glorify your fathers in heaven. That's the melting heart for Christ. But then also there's that heart of clay. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Uh, the same, you know, light-bearing source, some people have that heart that's just hardened by that light, and they don't come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. But, you know, hopefully I gave you uh, a, a couple of uh, keys right there. And so uh, I by no means have yeah. completely figured it all out, uh, but uh, that's just that's my approach to it. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Joe, for the call. You have a good, right. good evening. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. All right, moving along here. Next, from New York, we have Jay. Jay, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report with Navy SEAL Chad Williams. Hey, Mr. Chad Williams. Thank you for your service, sir. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love doing it. I'd be lying if I said I didn't like it because, you know, as a young guy, you get paid money to shoot guns, blow things up, jump out of airplanes. There's no complaining about that. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I know what you mean. I didn't been there, done that, but I know what you mean. And how are you guys, uh, Hagman's doing tonight? Good. Doing well. We're, we're blessed to have Mr. Good. Chad Williams with us for sure, and I know our yes, audience is are. blessed as well. I just want to blow through this real quick now, um, Chad. Uh, you had your experience where you found, uh, you know, your 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 way in in Christ and in God. Um, the community is, is, is really small, and I don't know if it was you that was on, but there was another SEAL that the Hagmans had on, and he said that he basically encountered a very visceral reaction um, in a negative sense. Have you encountered that at all um, throughout your community um, since this uh, this took place and you found your way? Okay, yeah, that's a good question. And so I would say kind of just coming from, you know, the thing that I just mentioned about that same sun that melts wax hardens clay, it's the same light bearing source, that's consistent but there's a different response based off of the recipient and so some people, you know when they get around that light they're going to be melted by it in a sense that they have a heart that's just melted by the things of God, they enjoy it, they want more they want to glorify God and there's other people that are just uh, repulsed by it, right? I mean darkness does not like the presence of, of light and that saying misery loves company well you're going to get those types of people anywhere you go you know if you become a Christian and you work in a factory you're going to have people uh, that do not speak well of you and it's not you that they don't like it's it's Christ that they don't like and it, it, Ooh, that just, just happens it. this happens everywhere alright and so it's no unique or foreign, you know, experience just to uh, the SEAL teams. And so I, I wouldn't say there's anything about being a, a, a SEAL that makes that really jump out. You've got those people in, in the SEAL teams that uh, they just, they have that heart that is not really appreciative of the things of Christ. They don't understand it. The scriptures say that 
you know, that the natural man doesn't receive, uh, you know, spiritual things because they are, they have, they have the, the natural mind. They just, I remember guys were just like, at first they're like, good for you, Williams. I'm, we're, we're happy. You know, I think they thought it was just a phase. And then eventually they're like, okay, we, you know, some of the guys, we want the old chat back. You know, I kind of had other guys come up to me privately, kind of like a Nicodemus, you know, Nick at night, uh, sort of moment, like, yo, Chad, you know, I believe everything you believe too. You know, I think this is good stuff, you know, so. You know, you, you got definitely both sides, both sides of the fence, you know, represented in the SEAL teams. Uh, but you should just, you should expect it. Um, Jesus says that, uh, you know, he, he says, you know, when people revile and persecute you or say all wrong things about you, he says, you just rejoice, be exceedingly glad. He says, great is your reward in heaven. And all those that desire to live a godly life will endure persecution. And I also would like to point out that the persecution that we endure as believers here in America it doesn't even deserve to be called persecution in comparison to what's going on overseas. I mean, eh, come on, you know, women and children yeah. uh, being buried to death uh, for their Christian faith. And so we, we don't have to put up really with anything over here uh, as Americans, American Christians. It's uh wow. And hopefully we never will. Um, I, I would like to say that, that, that is definitely um, a prop worthy, uh, for Scott Helveston because uh, that was a raw deal. I, I've spoken to contractors and they've they've told me some inside baseball on that. And for you to have spent that time with him, you know, when all I got to do was see him on TV when he was on that crazy SF show or whatever, um, you you were a lucky man. And I think he uh, he helped uh, with bring you where you are today. So I'm going to get off, and uh, thank you for your service, sir. God bless you. See you on the other God side. God bless you. Thank Have a good you, one. Th- thank you, sir. Uh, Ch- Chad, we, uh, we're going we're gonna to cut, cut the phone lines here because of the time. We're short on time. Uh, we've got numerous email questions. We can't get to all of them. Uh, I'm looking at one here. Uh uh, sir, given your experience as a Navy SEAL, given, given your testimony and experience as a Christian, looking at current events as they are today, um, Betty F. wants to know, where do you see, uh, what's your assessment of, of current events today with, uh, as they relate to, to uh, your understanding of Bible prophecy, specifically with, with America, with America? Sure. Well, as many of you probably know, that America is not explicitly uh, mentioned in the scriptures. And uh, so I, I go to Harvest Christian Fellowship. And, you know, one of the things that Pastor Greg Laurie has pointed out is, you know, the big question is, you know, wh- why don't we see America uh, in, you know, the Bible? You know, obviously we're a big world power right now, but you, you just you can't find America in the Bible. And so that could be for a, a couple of different reasons. And one of those reasons uh, might be because, you know, we get wiped out. And the other reason might be because there's a great revival in America. And, uh, you know, part of what happens is the, the rapture, the catching away, is that the, the church, when it gets taken to be up with the Lord, uh, that, you know, America, there's this great revival that happens. And, you know, the nation, you know, basically goes to be with, up with the Lord. That's I think that's... That's uh, wishful thinking, right? We would we would hope for something like that, uh, but the reality probably is is that uh, we'll just we'll cease to be a world power, you know, in the future, one way or another. It's just it's not there uh, in the scriptures. Really, 
the big show, all the action is going to be going on over there in in Israel, you know, in uh, the Megiddo, right? Yeah, yeah, and very interesting answer. Thank you, Betty, for that question. Um, Scott, in the remaining few moments we have left, uh, you've got a platform, a world platform. What would you like to share here in the next five minutes? Just turn the five minutes over to you. Uh, anything that you haven't covered that you'd like to cover, what would you like to share with our listeners all across the world? Uh, sure. You know, that, that last caller brought up Scott, you know, and just what a unique opportunity I had. That's, that's absolutely right. You know, I feel so blessed to get to spend that kind of time with Scott. And for a long time, I didn't want to talk about what happened to him, you know, obviously because it's just, it's difficult. It's tough to talk about, but I've realized that I have his story to share. I have a responsibility. You know, I've got certain aspects that I could share. You know, there's times that I've been with him where it's him and I, you know, I have these things to share. And uh, although he died on that bridge, he didn't die in vain. He died, you know, with a purpose. I remember one of the last things he ever said to me, Junior, when I go over there, perhaps I can make a difference. So he was over there uh, really for the sake of freedom. And so in what he has done, I see these words, greater love is no one than this, the one that lays down his life for his friends. That's a picture of Scott right there. Uh, another would be uh, Mike Monsoor is a U.S. Navy SEAL. When he's in a place called Ramadi, Iraq, he's on top of a roof, and he's providing cover for other SEALs that are out on the road. When from an unknown location, an insurgent threw a hand grenade up on the roof, and it hit Mikey in the chest, falls to the dark, and if you can imagine, he had an exit just a step away. That grenade was not his problem. But you know what? There's other SEALs that were on the roof with him, and they didn't stand a chance to make it past this grenade and to the exit, so Mikey, in a split-second selfless act, his final last word was grenade as he had just enough time to throw himself on top of it, to smother it as it went off. And he absorbed the blast of that grenade, all the shrapnel, the metal on himself. He suffered and died. But because of what he did, every single one of those other guys on the roof, they all live. Again, mark these words down in history. Greater love has no one than this, than one that lays down his life for his friends. And then finally, you know, one more. These guys are a reflection. A reflection of what? A reflection of who? They're a reflection of the man who spoke those words of greater love. And those words came from none other than Jesus of Nazareth. And he said those words at a very unique time. It's just prior to going to the cross. And so think of the cross this way. In America, we do have gratitude. I am thankful for that. We have gratitude for our men, our women that have really just, they've laid it all out there. They have paid it all. Sometimes they pay the ultimate price for the sake of our freedom, like Mike Monsoor and Scott Helvenston. And there's gratitude for that. You know, that's, that's, that's a gift of life that they've provided. Well, in a similar way, look to the cross in this sense. Look at the cross through a lens. If you could just take these guys as a lens to look through, to give you a clear view of what the cross is all about, it would look like this. That just as a, a guy like Mike Monsoor jumps on a hand grenade and absorbs the blast of that grenade, for what? Remember, so others could live. Never forget that when Jesus went to the cross, he absorbed the blast. Not of some hand grenade. He absorbed the blast of our sin and the devastating consequences that come upon it. He absorbed it all upon himself. Why? So that we could live. So we could be forgiven and pass by the grenade, as it were. Remember, that grenade was not Mikey's problem. It was the problem of those other guys on the roof. And sin was never Jesus' problem. It's been our problem all this time. But he took that upon himself for us. And just as my friend Scott killed and hung from that bridge, ultimately for freedom's sake, never forget that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he was killed and he was hung, wasn't he? From the cross, so that we could be set free from what? 
from the eternal consequences of our own sin. And so you see these words, greater love has no one than this, and one that lays down his life for his friends. You could see it in men like Mike Monsoor, Scott Helvinson. You get it, and now look to the cross. That's the proper perspective. That's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That is what our Savior did, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It says, for he, speaking of the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin. He was sinless, get it? He knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. That might is there for very good reason. Not everybody will. I'm going to wrap up on this. You know, it's not my words. Don't take my words. Take Jesus' words. He warns. He says, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. He's talking about hell. And he says, many go in by. He's saying that majority will go to hell. He says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. Well, what's the difficult thing to do that leads to life? What is the difficult thing to do? That's the thing you should want to do, right? Well, I think the difficult thing to do is what we could call the naming thing to do. Humble yourself before God. You know, step away from the sin, the pride. Show some humility and place your faith and trust in him. Cast yourself upon him for his mercy. You know, ultimately, there's two different types of people in the world, C.S. Lewis says. He says, there's that man that will bow his knee before the Creator and says to the Creator, thy will be done, Lord. And then there's the other man that refuses to bow his knee before the Creator. And I'll tell you what, his knee will bow. And the Lord will say to him, your will be done. In other words, you don't want anything to do with God? He'll grant you your wish. But if you do want something to do with him, if your love for God outweighs your love for sin, because that's what it comes down to. You have a love of one of two things. Either your love for sin outweighs your love for God, and you say, forget you, God. He'll grant you your wish. Okay, away with you, with your sin. To the lake of fire, to hell. A place that... He, it's very serious, right? It's judgment. His his godly wrath. I think about how um, I'm repulsed by a child molester. I am repulsed by a rapist, right? I can't. There's something within me. I must do something about that. Well, think about now God and his holiness, how perfect he is. He is repulsed even by the slightest bit of sin. He must do something about it. This is righteous judgment, right? And so that's what he did at the cross. He takes sin so seriously. Look at what he was willing to do at the cross about that sin. And so either your love for sin outweighs your love for God or your love for God. You're wooed by him. You're wowed by him. It says, uh, we love him because he first loved us. That love says, you know, I'm going to separate from my sin. I'm going to place my faith and trust in him. To that person, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, citizenship in heaven. And while you're here on earth, you have a life that God's hand is upon and you have the opportunity to make a difference for his kingdom, not because he needs you, but because he lets you be a part of it. It's awesome. Chad Williams, thank you so very much. His website, Navy Seal Chad Williams. My friend, God bless you. Thank you for everything you've done and everything you're continuing to do. And please, stop back again. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. That'll do it for us. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening. Thank you.